Welcome to Cinematic Tangent, folks. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Michael Van Alston, and as usual, as always, and forever, Bradley Renner is here. That's me. So, uh, we're doing a Batman show. We promised that on Twitter. Batman. Uh, in fact, this is going to be one of a couple Batman shows from what Brad and I discussed, but we're going to do the Nolan trilogy today, and I think I tweeted out saying that we were going to talk BVS, uh, but only one of us saw that. I could not bring myself to break the show's <laughs> boycott and see the film. Um, I, I, I don't have an opinion on it. I didn't, you know, I, I just... I just didn't even give it a chance because I the idea of sitting through uh, through two and a half hours of uh, Zack Snyder, Batman and Superman just seemed so horrible to me that uh, I decided that it was it was better to do something instructive. Um, so I have nothing to add for that, Brad. But you saw the film, and uh, I, I guess you really enjoyed it, Bradley. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I did see it, and uh, you know, as per the boycott, I bought a ticket to a different film, so I did not support it. Uh, and I hope that you won't uh, include uh, Batman versus Superman or Zack Snyder in the description of the show so that it can be searchable or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> it does help wanna, us get listeners. I don't want to support it like, yeah, in any way. Yeah, I love way. Batman Superman. What a great film. He's racist against aliens. Oh, God, it's and so he bad. It's a big twist. <laughs> It's so bad, but uh, you know, it's it's exactly what we thought it was going to be. Uh, I, you know, for some reason, I just had like a, a morbid fascination to see how bad it would be, and it was it was really awful. It was just uh, utter nonsense. It was super melodramatic and self important, uh, with you know nothing to really support anything that happens in it. Um, but you know, that's that's kind of what we expected from Zack so- Snyder, and what. Let me ask you this. Was it actually based on Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, one of my favorite Batman comics? Um, You know, it's been a while since because I've the read that, but I no. don't think so. The trailer definitely led me to believe, no, that was not the case, and that just because Batman fights Superman, that's where the coincidence between the two end. But I see that it, it, it is listed as uh, source material for the film. I, you know, I, I, I don't... I, I don't really see any of it in there, but... Then again, it, Zack Snyder may have just fucked it up. I mean, it's such a it's such a sloppily written film um, that you know maybe they did yank some stuff out of it, but you know they just kind of clouded it over with like really really bad, like just complete awfulness. Um, How was uh, Ben Affleck? Because that was the big issue everyone had with this. Like, <laughs> oh, Ben Affleck, Batman, yeah, yeah, I'm so upset about it. I'm like, no, give me a break. That's definitely the least of the problems of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, that was. And, you know, the thing was, like, I had read an article. I think you you sent it to me. You may have even tweeted it out um, about, you know, why Ben Affleck. Yeah, Yeah. man. And (laughs) you can see it on screen. You can see that he is having a miserable time. Uh, like he there are rumors going around, which he denies, but I think they're going to come out as being true because a lot of sources are reporting on him where he was rewriting parts of the script, which he does not deny. But there are rumors saying that he rewrote part of the script on the fly while in his Batman suit because he was so unhappy with the film. Yeah, and like I while on set. Possible. <laughs> I, you know, it 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 makes sense. Um, because because the movie doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. 
yeah, it's, mean, it's really bad. And you know, like I, I think one of the one of the really really awful things about it is that it essentially um, plays on our or it sort of relies on our you know prior knowledge and love or appreciation for these characters and it doesn't build them in any way you know and that's especially important for batman because you know while you could say this is sort of a a continuation of of snyder's superman movie um he hasn't done batman yet and so this is you know they essentially give like a like a pseudo origin we see his parents killed again but it's like a dream sequence but it opens the film um but he doesn't make either of them likable you know, so it's this movie where they're going to fight each other and it's supposed to be super dramatic, but uh, I just didn't care about either one of them. Like, as as their alter egos or as their their superhero selves, like, it, it just, I was not involved in any of it. It was just really awful. I am, like, kind of surprised how panned this is by critics. I mean, this has still got negative rating in Rotten Tomatoes, a poor Metacritic score, and generally disliked, I know it's anecdotal, but amongst our comic book friends, Brad, who I expected to usually like these mo- movies more than I do, I haven't heard a single positive statement from anyone regarding this film at all, except some people said it looked cool, which I I find hard to believe because it's directed by Zack Snyder. It kind of, so. you know, it, like, well, here's the thing with Zack Snyder, and boy, I hope we don't spend too much more time on this. Um, Zack Snyder! I, you know, like, I, I think I've said it on the Superman show that we did, like, three years ago, that I, I do think he knows how to craft an image and make something look cool. Oh, definitely. I just, I think his yeah, problem is usually... cool-looking shit in it. Yeah, yeah his, problem, his problem is usually putting that image into a contest, uh, into a context that, that gives it meaning or... You know, and any kind of value to the film as a whole. Uh, I don't um, think that's it. I think it's his repetition of the same cool image. That's my issue with Zack Snyder, is that he just basically repeats something that seems to work for him visually over and over and over again, as evidenced by The Watchmen. So. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, you, you know, you're definitely not wrong there. <laughs> um, but the thing with this is, I kind of didn't even think it looked cool. Yeah, did, I, like, I believe I, it. I thought the trailer looked like shit, and uh, I love the, the tone in the trailer that... This is just why I couldn't do it. I, I really am not trying to get my opinion in this film other than, like, my interest level of it. So that's the only thing I'm, I'm reviewing. But that tone that they sent out for the trailer about it being the darkest dark night you'll ever dark night in dark dark. Like, <laughs> I can't do this. I just can't do this. You know, it's, it's a movie about Batman punching Superman. Like, to put this dark tone on it just seems completely absurd. So. Yeah. And, and I mean... Jesus, it, and it also does like a a really lazy, the laziest setup for uh, the Justice League that you could ever imagine. I mean, it, it's just like it was egregiously bad. Um, Did it get you excited for the film? Because this is the dawn <laughs> oh God, of justice. No. No, it's basically um, Lex Luthor threatens Superman because he kidnapped his mother and was threatening to incinerate her if he didn't kill Batman. And then literally after that, uh, like after he tells him that and Superman flies off to go to Gotham to find Batman, uh, they cut to Wonder Woman, who hasn't been revealed as Wonder Woman yet, like putting this like USB drive into her computer. And it's like from Lex Luthor's personal files. And he has like (laughs) video recordings of like the Flash stopping a gas station robbery. Oh, God. You know, please. (laughs) I'm so glad I couldn't do this. Man, as I get older, my my time is just getting more precious to me. And I never feel like I have enough. I have a giant stack of video games and a giant stack of movies, uh, you know, comic books and stuff. And like, I feel like my time is just getting more valuable to me. And I just can't sit through two and a half hour films that I don't want to see anymore. I just yeah. can't do it. So, you know, and like I, I the only reason I'm going to go see um, Captain America Civil War 
is because I love that comic story so much, and I'm curious to see what they do with it. And because the reviews for it are good, but other than that, like, I'm not even interested in that anymore. I'm burnt out on superheroes. I really am. Yeah. completely burned out on them, which I never thought I'd say, especially because Deadpool was so good. Like, I thought it would reinvigorate it for me, but it, it hasn't. So. You know, I have to say that, like, in 2008, when I, when I was watching The Dark Knight, I certainly never thought I would say I'm burnt out of this <laughs> to segue into yeah. today's topic. <laughs> it's a good segue, too, because uh, the, the comment you said, Brad, about them not uh, spending time introducing Batman in... Uh, in the Batman vs Superman film, that is definitely not the case with Batman Begins. We might as well start there. Um, yeah, we we might as well uh, begin right there, Brad. Why don't you give us your general reaction to Batman Begins? Because you were always a little bit more down on this film than I was. Um, I feel like, uh, but now that you've rewatched it, it's fresh in your mind. What's your take, Brad? What's your reaction? Well, I mean, to say I was down on it is is a real kind of overstatement. I sure, I always yeah. loved it, and you know, like I remember I saw it originally instead of studying for my latin final in high school and boy oh. that was probably a mistake but um you're a bad discipulus or discipuli i still discipulus. got a i still got a 95 yeah but obviously anyway. i didn't do well because i don't know how to speak <laughs> latin <laughs> uh no but you know like i remember seeing it like four times in the theater and you know bought it watched it a bunch watched the features loved it you know but I think it's one of those things that I'm almost going to have to skip to the Dark Knight real quick for a second. Um, It's one of those things that, in retrospect, I just think the Dark Knight was so good that it almost kind of dwarfed Batman Begins for me. So, uh, Okay, maybe that's what the issue was. Maybe that's where I'm coming from with this. Yeah, you know, it's like when it came out, I thought it was fucking brilliant. Um, And I was a huge Memento fan, huge Insomnia fan. I loved Christopher Nolan. And then seeing his Batman, which I was really skeptical about... And it was fucking great. And so for three years, I loved it to death. And then I saw The Dark Knight, and it just, like, that stepped it up to 11. And then going back to The Batman Begins, it was just kind of like, hmm, this is still really good, but not not quite not quite on the same level. Yeah, I know. I, I, I feel you mean. When this movie came out, I actually wasn't completely sure that I knew who Christopher Nolan was. Just because, like, this came out, like, I don't know, I was just getting into high school, 2005. Yep. So I, I don't think I really had a good sense of who Christopher Nolan was, but I had seen uh, Memento. All I knew at the time when I saw this was that, wow, this was a whole lot better than the last Batman film I saw, which <laughs> featured nipple uh, suits and, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, telling people to chill. So this was a huge improvement. And going back and watching this, it really, really holds up well. Not necessarily because of the darker tone or anything like that, but just because it's an all-around great film. Uh, I think this is the first sort of <clears throat> Batman film we'd seen in a long time since the Tim Burton ones, which I'll we talk about on another episode. They're very different. This is the first one that just had a lot of craft and a lot of like quality films, uh, filmmaking going into it. This is like the first superhero film, I think, that was taken really, really, really seriously. And um, that still shows to this day, like everything about Batman Begins is, is just quality down to the direction, the, the you know, the score, uh, the, the dialogue is great. Um, I, I think this is like a, a timeless classic, even when we get a new Batman someday and uh, we're introduced to a whole new world of Batman, which I don't really know if I consider the Affleck to be that or not. Uh, I think that Batman Begins will, will stand on its, on its own feet forever. So, yeah, I think it's still going to be the one that people refer to, like when they say like, oh, are you a Batman fan? Like, I think yeah. they're, they're going to be talking about, you know, the, the Nolan trilogy. Well, in a, in a way, it kind of updates the character, too, in the same way that Frank Miller updated Batman in the comic books by making him darker and kind of, like, you know, changing him to make him a little more depthful. That's what Batman Begins does, because I already yeah. know who Batman is, but it spends, and it, like, the first act of this film, Brad, is, like, 30 minutes long? 
I think it's 40, actually. Is it? Well, God damn. I mean, that's a long first act. First act's just supposed to be like 10 pages of the screenplay, so first, you know, 10, 15 minutes, essentially. But this is a good 40 minutes. They spend time sort of building up uh, the background of this character, who we didn't need background on. You know what I mean? But... I did, like, because I felt like it was rewarding, and I took something away from it that I didn't completely know about Batman, and I think that I, I it really set up this uh, this dichotomy between Bruce Wayne, this sort of, like, self-loathing billionaire, and this, this character that he creates to hide in for himself, and they do a really good job of, like, making it, like, psychologically depthful and an interesting new twist on Batman, even though it's the same character that I know and love as a lifelong fan. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing is, like, yes, they didn't need to go back and, and do a backstory um, for anyone to enjoy a Batman film. Like, I'm sure right. if they had just gone into action and the Batmobile, we would have all enjoyed it. But, uh, you know, I think to to achieve what they were trying to do, which is sort of reinvented as a more internal character, then, yeah, I do think it was really necessary. And it was it was really good, really interesting. Really like, good. it totally hooked me. I love the scenes of him when he's a kid. Great, great yeah. scenes. And there's some subtlety there, too. There's some, like, subtle, interesting things. Like, when his parents get murdered, Bruce Wayne doesn't even react. Like, he doesn't, like, scream or have an emotional moment. And it's sort of, like, set for me that this might be someone who... I I mean, I'm like, this is obviously sort of a stretch. I don't know if I'm wording this correctly, but someone who might be, like, on the autism spectrum or someone who isn't completely a normal person in terms of their ability to deal with their emotions. And that comes out a lot later, um, you know, in his ability to sort of uh, balance the way that he sort of like plays this fake life as Bruce Wayne. Like he's very, very detached from other people, very, very detached from reality. And I think that they they show that and reveal that in subtle ways, including in those flashback scenes when he's a kid, which I really, really appreciated more watching this, you know, for the 12th time now, which has been a few years since I've seen it. Though that was something that, that stood out to me right away was that kid is not acting like a normal kid. So... Uh, uh- I don't know if I'd agree with that. I mean, I think maybe there's a maybe like a fraction of that, but I I mean, I think he's just heartbroken. I mean, I, I think I think the uh, the emotion in that is more in the filmmaking of it where, you know, he's sort of like in the middle of his parents dead, sort of like wrapped around him like they're dead bodies. And then it just does that sort of wide shot of him completely alone in the middle of this dark alley. Totally. Um, he doesn't like cry or react. I think he's crying. I mean, he, he's. I don't know. I mean, he, I think he's in shock. I mean, he's in shock. Yeah, I just because then they cut to the scene of, of Gordon he's... putting his jacket around him, and he's still just completely shaken. Yeah, no, I agree, and I, I think it like to some degree it is shock, but also it's sort of established to me that this is someone who is just a little different, and uh, you know, and Batman definitely is someone who is obviously quite different than the rest of us, especially since he's trained by an ancient uh, group of ninjas who live in the mountains, <laughs> which should be cheesy in any other film, Brad. But that's where we jump to, and it's fucking great. Those are some of the best scenes in the whole goddamn movie. And by the way, I bought it. I ate it up. It completely works in every way. And it should be silly and it should be asinine, but it's not. Does, does, does it still work for you? Because I think this is, you know, one of the one of the reasons that I wanted to go back and rewatch this was because at the time when these came out, I was like, you know, between 18 and, you know, 22. And I was completely in love with them. So I sort of paved over a lot of the things that were, you know, maybe a little corny about them. You know, sure. I just I just ate it right up, and I you know I think ninjas in the Batman movie is sort of one of those things. Um, they work for me, man. I have no problem with them at all. Like I feel like if I can suspend my disbelief enough to believe that a man wears a bat suit and has a bunch of gadgets and flies <laughs> around the city, like accepting that he's trained by ninjas in the mountain was fine, especially because there is well, something sort of it, dark yeah. and interesting about them. Well, it's sort of a logical so. extension, and it sort of gives uh, maybe like a, a realistic. I don't know, sort of an underlying reality to why he would, you know, use theatricality and and deception and all of that. Like, I mean, I think, yeah, I love that. Like, it's a little bit silly, but (laughs) you took my my advice about theatricality, literally. Yeah. (laughs) 
I like it. That's a good line. It's it's like, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. And I think that it, it really, for me, it helped build and establish the character. And it shows a lot of where his motivation came from, where they talk to him a lot about fear. And obviously, it's sort of ham-fisted in a way, but he's scared of bats and sort of traumatized them in this issue they have when he's a child. But I'm cool with that. Like, I'm cool with him um, taking up the moniker of something that he was scared of. And, uh, you know, having that be part of his larger training with these ninjas in the mountains, it totally fucking works for me. Especially because, like, uh, those scenes are so well done. And again, I think if you had another director here who wasn't so good with that camera and so smooth with that direction, it might be a little goofy. But those scenes where he's training, they are fucking brutal. And they are cool as hell, man. And, like, they look awesome in that snow. Uh, it's just, it's a great set. It's a great scenery. It's obviously done on location somewhere. I don't think this was done on a movie set. I can't imagine. It looks amazing. Like it, if it were any other director or if it were done, uh, you know, with, with less, uh, with less beauty behind it in terms of photography, it would probably would have bombed out, but it really, really succeeds here. Yeah. I, th- I think you're totally right there. Um, yeah, man, it, it really was like an, an Kind of, kind of amazing to go back and rewatch this um, it really was. because you know it's it's something that I feel like the last time I, I had spent like a couple years away from it and then went back and saw it uh, I saw it during the uh, the Dark Knight Marathon when Rises came out. Oh, you went, did you do the whole thing? Did you I did the whole thing. Yeah, oh my six thirty to like until like three a.m. <laughs> Man, you probably um, got a blood clot in both your legs. Oh God! It, it, yeah, <laughs> it, it was a little too much. It was too much, Batman. Um, yeah, especially when you had to watch Rises. At the oh, God. You know, like, it's funny. I, we'll get to Rises in a little bit. But, uh, like, I remember, I remember, like, sort of giving Rises a pass because I was just like, well, maybe I was just sort of like, you know, kind of Batmaned out. You know, I just, yeah. maybe I just was sort of like, you know, I had already had enough. And then it's I sat for three hours. It's an bias, man. It's like the people who re- spend all this time reading a novel and they hate it. They're always in denial about it because they spent fucking a whole month of their life reading it. Yeah, it's the same you know, thing like here. that's that's one of the things. Yeah, like I was so excited for it, I've been waiting for it for years, uh, and then just wanted so badly to like it, and just I can't, I can't do those things. I can't do those those marathons. I ended up getting tickets for that, and I think I sold them and opted just to go really? see Rises outright. Yeah, like I was like, I can't do this. Like I can't sit through nine hours of any movie. Um, it just it just wasn't something I was interested in doing, especially because at that time I think I had seen The Dark Knight and Batman Begins probably like six times. Oh, I'd so seen really yeah, I yeah, I saw The Dark Knight in theaters twelve times. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> well, let's let's jump back to Batman Begins. So it, I think that where this film stands out, if you, like a lot of people end up going back to The Dark Knight, I think that's the most popular of the three. Brad, you said it's the highest rated on IMDb. It's so. number four on the okay. top two fifty. The movies, fourth best film of all time, time yes. Uh, As ranked you, by their users, yeah. User ratings, okay. I was like, that's just fucking obscene, but... <laughs> yeah, it's, right. a, it's absurd. So one thing I, I don't think that I realized, going back to this, is like now that I've seen The Dark Knight uh, much more recently and, uh, you know, more often I think I've seen Batman Begins, I forgot how Batman Begins does take a lot of, like, Batman fan service, and there is some sort of, just sort of fun, a lot of, like, just really, really cool, purely fun scenes. Like, there really is no reason for him to have a rooftop chase scene in his uh, bat tank <laughs> but oh, it's cool yeah. stuff. and like that that weird scene too where he uses this random gadget in his foot and calls these bats to him like calls these bats to his aid it's <laughs> yeah. so ch- cheesy and so absurd and kind of silly but i think the batman begins unlike the dark knight really maintains this sort of fun kind of pulpy tone and again i think it's because they're dealing with something that is sort of absurd which is that the premise of this film is that this ancient ninja organization that has existed throughout all of human history is coming to take down Gotham because of inexplicable reasons that we can't possibly understand. 
but the very premise of something that yeah that you know of a bunch of people who may be immortal and timeless is already hard to sort of swallow but i think when you throw in the sort of fun stuff like batman's gadgets and the you know the bat tank scene and um even scarecrow to some degree is kind of ridiculous you know since it maintains would you like to see my mask it works out yeah it really does and i think that the dark knight took that those same elements and made it more serious but for batman begins the one thing i didn't realize until i went back to this was that it's just fun it's just a fun film even though it's darker and more serious like it's it's just pure entertainment the whole it time is, do you think do you think those moments would work without the 40 minute first act where no, it kind of bases will. it in a reality and makes you think seriously about this because i, don't I think, think i don't think they would because otherwise think, it'd just be the same stuff well, I think you know? what that did was that that like hooked me in, and that made me want to like what I was going to see. So that like when when that did come, because you're right, that moment is really ridiculous when he calls all the bats, the bats and then they yeah. like they're like <laughs> he ne- choreographed he so he can make an escape. Either of the sequels, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and like that is absurd. And I think if it were something that like, for instance, if that were in the Zack Snyder movie, if they had done that, I've been like, this is fucking dumb. Yeah, but, but since it, I had, since I was already totally hooked into the movie, then it just sort of worked for me. I was like, that's cool. Yeah, it, it gives it enough context where I think that what Nolan does really well in this film is even though there is that bizarre, bizarre exposition sequence at the end, which is just terrible, when, um, you know, like they're blowing up the water mains and we got <laughs> once they get to Wayne Tower, it's going to blow them all up and then we'll all be gassed. And like they explain it just how like many times. times they show that guy. You know what? Like if, <laughs> if, if, if like an alien came down and like sat in front of a TV when that was on like TNT and just caught like the end of the movie, they would think that guy was the main character. Yeah, they're like, totally that guy has so much screen time. He? I don't know. Yeah, Had to have been Christopher that. Nolan's like what? dad's friend or something oh, like that. God, just like, what's next about this? Batman already explains it all to us he's like wayne's the center of the city and like that's where the train is going and all the water mains converge there got it i understand it i know what's going on thank you very much but then for some reason christopher nolan keeps cutting back to like the it's not it's not like different exposition it's the same exposition. but he just says it slightly differently uh i have to imagine that was like a studio note where like maybe they were afraid that audiences wouldn't be savvy enough that like you know because this is the first sort of superhero movie that like really took it super seriously so like maybe they just thought like ah this is just gonna be a bunch of dipshits going to see this so you really have to like beat it into their heads what's happening here maybe it is Um, in the script like i i have the screenplays for all three of these films and they are in there i don't know to what degree those are the originals or if they're shooting scripts or whatever but like they are in there which is really strange. Wow. So to some, it was on just some so level, much. it is, but like, what's weird about this is they, they think that we're smart enough to sort of understand this high concept of the league of shadows, right? Like this, I don't this, think it's like, that high a concept actually. It, it kind of is because like to some degree there is no, I guess the reason I say that is because like there is no explanation for it. Like they sort of explain that their motivation, but it doesn't really make any rational sense to us. And this, I like, it is hard to sort of fathom the idea of, they might be immortal, but might not be, and they spend so much time on them, but we don't really get any explanation of who they are or what they do, and I'm okay with that as the audience. It's smart enough to let me infer, but when it comes time to something as simple as a beat-the-clock scenario, it pounds it into my head. It's bizarre. It's a really weird <laughs> yeah. juxtaposition. So, I don't know. I mean, my the, only the... complaint about the film, though, by the way, is literally that, that scene, and it's not enough to detract in any way. It's just it's worth making fun of. Oh, it, it's de- it's just it's really goofy. Yeah, um, it is. But yeah, like it, it, you know, it, it was one of those things that like when I saw it four years ago, I was like, "Holy shit, this guy is 
like this is bananas how much he's on the screen and then when i watched it this time like i don't know i think i i just like you know sort of like recalibrated and and realized that like he isn't on quite as much as i thought he was but like man it's he has uh he has quite a few lines he does. And it, well, like, here's my issue with this, man, is why, for some reason, that works, though. I mean, at this, to some degree, uh, this idea of sort of a beat-the-clock scenario where Batman is sort of racing its time to stop something should be kind of cheesy. But I kind of love the idea of them weaponizing this this chemical, that which they bring up in the early first act of the film. Christopher Nolan is so good with the three-act structure. He always ties things back together. So anything you get introduced in the first act is almost a spoiler that it's going to come up in the third. So this idea of this flower that they give Batman during his oh, training yeah. up in the mountains, you know, like that ends up being weaponized, and that's what's taking Gotham down. It's it Again, Brad, it's one of those things that should be really cheesy, and it should bother me. But I felt myself in legitimate suspense wanting him to stop this train. Even well, though if I sit back and I'm to, to like totally take it rationally, it is kind of absurd. Like, oh, it's definitely absurd. But the, I mean, if you sit back and think about anything in, in a, a superhero yeah, movie, Batman. it's absurd. Batman is um, absurd. Batman but yeah, is like, an absurd. That's Batman. one of those things where like he does that so well. He does that exposition so well where like he, you know, he makes the blue flower really important to the beginning to like that first act it's it's essentially how he becomes batman how he gets initiated into the league of shadows mm-hmm. uh or almost um you know so he like gives it a total purpose and sort of completes its arc right there but then he brings it back in a way that like oh shit like this totally makes sense and it doesn't seem like he's just bringing it up just out of nowhere um where like i think i think another filmmaker another writer would have um i don't know he does that really well yeah, but, he you know, really does. He like, really does. To, to go, go back to like those silly things that he does and those silly gadgets that he has, you know, we're talking about the the bat swarm that he that he calls from his shoe. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, not think... quite as bad as the Batman and Robin uh, clicking heels together, ice skates appear, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, still silly. It's it really does harken back to that old Batman TV show. So. Oh, oh, totally. Um, but you know, like I think I think another reason why it works is because there it becomes after that uh, that like kind of long montage or that stretch of the film where he's he's literally like making his bat suit and he's designing all of these gadgets and they you know they show him doing so much like homework with batman that i think it just it just works and my suspension of disbelief is you know it like it it totally follows that you know he would have made some gadget to you know remotely call some bats in uh, yeah, I mean, that's fine. It, it's also, again, it, it goes back to Christian Nolan being a strong director. It's a cool-looking fucking scene. It really does look like there are bats surrounding Christian Bale as he jumps from this roof, and it is cool as yeah, hell. Yeah, that is cool. It's cool as hell. So I think that that is part of the reason that we're able to sort of... It's it's almost like Sam Raimi in the way that he deals with a lot of stuff in Spider-Man, which I think that we're going to have to make some analogies between uh, these films again later on. But if, like, Sam Raimi is such a strong director... Uh, and that the scenes that he crafts are so good that even the sort of absurd and ridiculous elements of those films work really well. And it's the same thing here. Um, Christopher Nolan is somehow, but he's also still able to like maintain the darkness to the look and the tone um, while bringing about sort of ridiculous fun stuff. And that's just his strength as a director. Like he went into this with a real sense of voice. Uh, you know, since he wrote this, uh, he didn't actually write, he did not write the script for Batman Begins, but he wrote the sequels. I think David he co wrote it with Goyer. Did he? Okay. Well, either way, like he went in there with a real sense of, of, of voice from the get-go and he's able to maintain his tone consistently, which is whereas I think with Rises, that's sort of where that film falls off the jumps the shark for me. It sort of falls apart is because he isn't able to maintain that tone. With Batman Begins, he is. 
Um, so if you start out a film with sort of a little bit of absurdity and you're mixing in sort of a just fun with this sort of dark tone and feel, as long as it's consistent, it's always okay and it's always acceptable. And I don't think he ever does anything that's too much of a leap away from that to where it knocks me out of my suspension, suspension of disbelief. He's really, really good about avoiding that. Well, like so. I think, yeah, like I guess to, to sort of, I don't know repeat that in a slightly different way um you know like he just does such a great job of of mixing in like those ridiculous comic book moments and really sort of incorporating them into the film and and into the you know adapting them into this sort of darker sort of realistic tone that he's that he's carved out for this film um whereas i think i guess to to you know piggyback on your dark knight rises point i you know that's not a comic book film that's just a a random like evil super genius villain movie that has batman in it sometimes yeah, you're <laughs> yeah. no you're totally right man uh, uh one... you know like that just doesn't it, that, we'll get to it but that one just doesn't have like any of the humor or really anything in it i don't know man no we'll, and there, we'll but, like this one we'll does have a lot of humor too and, and especially with like that the scarecrow yeah uh, <laughs> he's dealing with the mobsters and stuff even though he's like torturing them and he's obviously this really vindictive like psychopath and they're fun really absurd sequences when he's gassing people and stuff i laughed i thought it was cool as hell and also, I think the one thing that Christopher Nolan does here that's really, really commendable is there's no doubt in my mind that he was limited in the studio. Like, um, you know how, like, all the Batman films before this had a new villain in it every fucking time? Well, I yeah. think that Batman Begins, they had to do that, too. So it was like, he didn't really have a whole lot left to work with. It's like, well, Ra's al Ghul and Scarecrow, you know, he's like, he's picking from, uh, you know, the last sort of remnants of Batman villains that weren't featured in cinema, the ones who probably worked the least. So yeah, he he's basically had deep. to, like, puzzle piece this together in a lot of ways, and it fucking works dude uh Cillian murphy who plays the scarecrow i mean we always talk about heath ledger and the joker and it's worth talking about he's a great villain he's a really really good actor and he does a really good job of like the the dude is just i know he plays every psychopath in every movie ever but he's good at it so he just has yeah, he's that great. look and feel he just has that ugh. face yeah yeah <laughs> but he really really creates a great villain out of something that should be kind of stupid um and to some degree the scarecrow scarecrow is still kind of cheesy and a little bit silly but he really is like that mask is kind of creepy and dark. It is something out of your nightmares. Um, well, you know, really like is. I think the other thing that I love about this too is that Nolan does that thing where he does those POV shots of people that have been shot with the gas, where it's basically showing their the nightmares. eyes. And, yeah. yeah, which is yeah. really fucking cool. Really fucking cool, yeah. And I love how the, the, there's a great scene where he flips back and forth between them. So Rachel has the antidote. So it's shown what the boy sees, like the scarecrow, fire breathing out of this horse. Oh, yeah, it shows yeah. That Rachel sees it's just some whiny little bitch on a horse going like, <laughs> Yeah, she she tases him and then he just, you know, <laughs> the horse rides away and he's screaming. Runs off. I love that. I love that, man. It was a really, really great scene. And again, yeah. it's one of those things where it's, it's forcing me to laugh at something. It's sh- shoving in constant comic relief with the pure entertainment. Boy, Batman Begins is just a damn good film. What a it's really great good. film. Um, yeah, I had a girlfriend, man, who uh, she went and saw this movie, and she is not a Batman fan, but like she was so high on this film, like she just was like consuming Batman comics after she saw this movie, and um, like it, I think it really is for a lot of people was maybe an introduction to how uh, smart and sophisticated Batman could be, and uh, on that note, it's very successful. So yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, on that note, I think it is definitely uh, a good comparison that you made to uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, which was like the first, you know, one of the first adult comic books. Yeah, Frank Miller did that, updated a lot of comic uh, heroes, you know, he updated Daredevil, you know, 
Um, Frank Miller was that was his sort of calling card in the day until he ran out of people to update. Now he just regurgitates the same shit over and over. But. You know the other thing I love about this too, and and this will this will sort of be a wrap up, um, yeah. is the the sequel tease that he does. Yeah, the is, Joker card. I love yeah, that. Yeah, the, the Joker <laughs> card is that's so amazing because it's something where that you know if they had never made the Dark Knight, that still would have worked. You could still watch this movie and it's still its own complete thing. And you know the idea is that Batman is here and he's gonna he's gonna hang out and he's gonna save the city. Yeah. Um, but then having you know actually making the Dark Knight, uh, it just as you know it's just a sort of a perfect segue into that film absolutely the case i will say that i don't think batman begins is is thematically rich or as as um i guess i'm if you can call rises that i don't think it deals with a lot of like serious themes like the other two films do which i i really do think they do so let's jump into dark knight brad which i would argue is a very different film in a lot of ways uh brad you have seen this way more times than i have i believe you saw this in theaters 11 times 12 oh my god uh you would say it's very different I would say it's very different because I, I do think that even though I agree that it has some of the fun and stuff, like this really is a much, this is even darker and more uh, grounded in reality, I think, than Batman Begins is. I, see, I, really I, I actually think it's just a logical extension. I don't think it's I, I don't think it's any more grounded in reality than that one is. I think that also this one eliminates the Batman fan service. So it's like, we, you know, we've been yeah. reintroduced to him, so there aren't those shots, which are really awesome of just like, batman's belt and like batman getting dressed and stuff you know <laughs> well i think you need those for the origin and for this right. one it's just i, I like this one because we just we just we're just in like it, it just starts out and we're in batman we already know who he is we already know what he can do you know like it just it just starts you know it's like it drops us in the middle of the story it does but i think there is something more serious about this uh than batman begins because instead of i understand to some degree there is you know there is still a lot of cheesy and just fun elements to it, and I think some of the scenes are really fun, but this is a much more realistic kind of threat. Instead of someone weaponizing a flower and yeah, yeah. blowing up water mains, like this is a you know, terrorist who's blowing up hospitals and stuff, and I think that when this movie came out, that was playing into a lot of the fears that people had about terrorism. Um, not necessarily me, but other people. And uh, <laughs> the film really does a good job of playing into that, and that, that real-world fear that I think to some, day, uh, some extent like, people are still grappling with now. So I think oh, that to that degree, it is more grounded. It is a very different film in terms of its its tone. Well, I mean, I, I think in terms of like what it's um, what it's mirroring in terms of you know the culture and what was going on in society, then yeah, I guess so. But I mean, I think the film itself, if you just like watch it in a vacuum, it's I think it's just as absurd as as Batman Begins is, aside from the weaponizing uh you know a gaseous flower or whatever um you know but like it, it still has like i mean the, the, some of the, the the joker plot stuff is just absurd you know the the steamboats uh you know that oh, whole sequence is just outrageous that's, that's an error like that that is to me that's an error <laughs> in the film i think we should get to that I, to me that it hits pause in the movie i'm talking about the general film in and of itself i'm not talking about that sequence which is truly ridiculous um I think in general, though, like the way that the Joker is handled is much more serious and it's fun in a different way. So it's fun in almost like a violent way. It's playing on something very primal in us. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I guess like because I had read a lot of comics going into this, like I read The Killing Joke and that comic made me really empathize and kind of love the Joker, even though he was a psychopath and he's, you know, a malicious person and he does horrible things to people. To some degree, that comic book helped me understand him. And I think in a lot of ways, this movie is dealing with the killing joke version of Joker. So that opening sequence with him, it is very fun and just entertaining, but it's also 
um, you know, it's revealing to us who he is, and it's making him sort of likable to me, despite the fact that he's robbing this bank and murdering all these people. I'm instantly attached to how much I enjoy him. Well, see, that's um, the, you know, that's the thing is like I don't think he's likable necessarily, but I just think he's you know we enjoy watching him because he's such a great character and he's such a great foil for Batman. Oh, uh, totally, totally it, the case. He he presents such a challenge that. Well, I think that we but we spend more time relating to him and kind of like bonding with him and you know on some. I sort don't of relate case. to him really in any I'm not way. Saying, I'm not saying like empath. I'm not saying that we relate to him in the sense that we feel like we are him. I'm just saying we spend a lot of time like bonding him and like learning who he is, whereas we don't really do that in the in Batman Begins. Those villains are kind of taken at more face value. This one's a much more intimate sort of villain scenario, and I think that it sort of makes the. The atrocities he commits uh, more realistic. And, uh... Well, I think it does for the villain sort of what Batman Begins did for Batman in terms of making, you know, getting us into their head a little bit. Whereas, you know, Batman Begins had the Scarecrow who was just like, yeah, doing this wild scheme. Whereas uh, the Joker seems to have like a, a, you know, a modus operandi, a philosophy of what he's trying to do and what he's trying to take down. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think in that sense, it is. I don't know. I, I think he's definitely a more interesting villain. And I, and I love... It. Do you think you can bond with him? Do you think that you could understand him uh, without, on some degree, um, relating to him or at least understanding where he's coming from? Because I'm not some, I'm not saying that or suggesting in any way that I feel like I am the Joker. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah. I don't really know how to word this. I'm doing a really poor job. But there is something about his sort of philosophy and outlook on the world where if I were to like break myself down to some primal level, I can understand where he's coming from and I can understand if I had this personality type. If I didn't have any sense of like social ethics or uh, something to that something to that degree, like a lot of the stuff that he says and does, um, really maybe aren't that crazy. It's just those sort of social uh, the social forces that stop us from sort of doing this. So to some degree, I don't. I mean, it's hard for me to imagine how he could be depthful and interesting if I didn't, on some level, relate to him. You know. Uh... I'm not saying he's like Magneto, where I could definitely understand how you could take Magneto's side. I'm not su- suggesting right, it at all, right. but I can relate to him to some extent, and that's why he's so interesting. He's not just a Bond villain. He's not just the Scarecrow. Like, I, on some level, understand this person if I had this personality type, and I think that that's what makes him so interesting. So I'm, I'm going to sort of stick to that, sort of like relate and bond with to some degree, because I think the movie does spend a lot of time making the correlation to how he's very similar to Batman, and there's only like a small step between the two, and we love yes. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love you know that that scene in the interrogation room where you know he basically says we're the same, you know, and that society looks at us basically the same. We're both outcasts. We're both yeah, we're you know, both like different. That. We don't fit in with the normal molds, man, and they don't. They really don't. Yeah, so. and they're gonna use you, and when they're done with you, they're just gonna cast you out, which is just amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I I guess I kind of get what you're saying. I I don't know. I think relate to him is sort of the wrong uh, phrasing. I don't really know. I don't know what phrase to use here. It's it like in a lot of respects, he kind of reminds me of the comedian in Watchmen, where I don't relate to him, but he's such an interesting character, and I think that once you get inside of his head and you understand where he's coming from, you can at least see parts of him in yourself. And, like, I could definitely to some degree even see a little bit of the Joker in myself as well. Again, if I didn't have, the, like, the, you know, the, the social sense of ethics and the, you know, the sense well, of right and wrong, um, like I think I, what, at a primal level, I understand. I, I think what it is that I think it's a well-written character and it's and it's really well acted. And uh, it's something that, 
when you're spending time with him, like when there are sort of extended scenes with him, he's a really magnetic character. So, you know, he's kind of attractive in the sense that he's super interesting to watch. And so I think you sort of, you know, part of you wants to identify with him or wants to be on his side in a sense. Like, I mean, you know, the scene when he walks into the, you know, the mob's uh, underground meeting room and he just completely owns them. I mean, it's just this thing that you see how intelligent he is and how, 10 steps ahead he is you know in front of everybody and that that is just that's completely magnetic and so i I don't know it's like i I can't say i identify with him but i fucking love watching him on the screen boy yeah i mean i don't know like i i I just i know that i'm explaining this really wrong but to listen back to this and people are gonna be like chant a terrorist (laughs) he thinks the joker's a great guy that is not my position all i'm saying is that at some primal level like i get this person and to some degree like social uh norms and like uh you know social taboos and social restraints and restrictions like they do make me mad and they i do want to rebel against them and this is someone rebelling against them in the ultimate way granted he's hurting a lot of innocent people in the process which i don't think is appropriate and completely wrong um, but there is something about him that I really kind of understand on, on some level can get how he got there. Like my, like I, again, I think that it relates to how similar he is to Batman. Like Batman also has those same kind of problems. It's just that Batman is transformed into doing something as a force for good. And Joker is more of a, a force for chaos, but the path leading up to that convergence, like where that fork splits in the road is the same path. It's the same kind of mindset. And I, I really do feel to some degree that that is why he's, I mean, the fact that we're even arguing about this, like, that's why he's one of the best villains in any movie ever. You know, the so, funny thing is, I, I thought we fucking agreed about this movie, and we just spent 10 minutes talking about the Joker. <laughs> um, but, <coughs> excuse me. Um, you know, so I guess uh, let's sort of switch gears a little bit. Um sure. You know, revisiting this, so it's been it's been a few years, probably the same amount. Of, I think the last time I saw this was that that marathon too, and this was a movie that uh, it was my favorite movie of the year. I made uh, a, like my brother and I, and a couple of our friends, made top ten or top fifty lists of the decade. This was number two on mine. Um, you know, this is a movie that I absolutely loved and thought was pretty much flawless uh, when it came out, uh, and. I mean, I, I know you were like a little bit less high on it than I was, but you still loved it nonetheless, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I do love it. I think that there are several scenes in here that are just downright terrible, uh, and I think they put pauses on the movie. But overall, well, this is a great film. Like, I am not, I'm not so, suggesting this isn't great. Oh no, no, no! I, I that that's not where I was going with this. Yeah, I guess revisiting it, like, because now, you know, I, I think when movies come out, like, there's such a fanfare about them. There's all this hype. There's you know a bunch of reviews. Everyone wants to talk about it, and there's like sort of this, you know, you're kind of like in a bubble, and it seems more important than it is. You know, I think that's definitely what happened to me. Um, but now that I'm, you know, we're like eight years removed from it, and I can go back and look at this a little bit objectively. Like, I def, like, I definitely agree. There are some absolute flaws the boat scene is fucking ridiculous the the boat Um, scene would be okay in another movie maybe we should talk about that because everyone who's listening to the show knows what we're talking about like do you want to like leap there for a minute because like that scene is kind of interesting to me in any other film and i think that it plays into a lot of like uh who the joker is to some degree where he basically puts this sort of issue in their path where like this you know he's taking down society's norms and like he puts this bomb on this boat it's it's absurd but like fine let's just take it as a social experiment and the very first thing people jump to is well let's take a vote on how to handle this and it sort of does have this natural progression to show how like once you it really does fit in with the joker's uh 
sort of, you know, overall philosophy in life or where like people, when you break down social norms, don't know what to do. So their instant reaction sort of rebuild them. I think it's a cool sequence in another movie. But for here, it just puts the fucking brakes. And it's done such, it's such ham-fisted bullshit, too. Like, the way that it's, <laughs> the way that it's handled is, like, so slow and plodding. And then to, like, have the murderer on the boat be the one who does the right thing with throwing it away, it's just well, so fucking cliche. And see, I, like, that ugh. part, like, I know what you mean there, but see, I, I guess part of my problem with it, and I, I agree, like, it's something that, you know, we're already two hours into the movie, and then you have this this sequence. Um, I, I It's maybe a little bit overkill. But, yeah. like, I think the purpose of the scene is that, like, you know, because Batman said, like, when they don't blow each other up, Batman says, like, oh, this city just showed you that it's ready for good. And I kind of don't think the scene actually shows that. because no, the scene it, doesn't show that at all. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, the uh, basically, like, the, the, the boat that has, like, the regular civilians on it, uh, like, they don't decide not to blow the other boat up everyone's just afraid to get their hands dirty and actually be the one that does it. It's about not taking responsibility for it rather than not wanting to do it in the first place. Cause the vote comes out the like scene is supposed to show. But no, that's, that's what not the scene shows me. Yeah. That, that's yeah. exact. And that's why I don't yeah. like it because it, it's like, it's supposed to be this argument for Batman and why, you know, hope is sort of, you know, reentering the city, but like, no, like they were totally all in favor of, uh, of blowing up those criminals. Uh, sure, and I think that you it know, really does. Uh, it, it it does sort of take aim at those sort of like law and law and order kind of like self righteous folks who will make sort of broad statements about what should happen to bad people. Because that guy in the boat is kind of absurd. He's like, those men had their chance, and like, oh yeah, that guy's totally ridiculous. Comfortable with blowing them up, and in real life, that guy would have just blew him up. Like that guy's just a douche. You know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily think there's uh, any sort of redeeming quality to like. See, I don't know. Kind of I, I like I don't. Ah, see, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think being the, I think being the one to actually press the button is totally different. Like, I think, I think he definitely would have voted for it. He definitely would have argued for it. But like, is when that it any comes different time, than actually doing it? Is that any different than actually doing it? I think that I mean, maybe I'm reading way too much into that scene, but they essentially try to legitimize their own uh, murder of these people by voting on it, and that that like gives them a little barrier to do it. And I think the Joker again is just more honest about his sort of violence because he he basically. You know, instead of voting on murdering people, he just does it. And to some degree, I think that that scene is showing how, like, to me, that scene is showing how the Joker isn't so much different than a lot of regular people. It's just that the scene, only if you read into it, does it reveal that because I think it's handled so poorly. But I don't really I, think that <clears throat> him actually pushing the button is any different than them all voting on pushing the button. It's the same thing. No, I think I think we're agreeing. I, I like that. I think that's why the scene is weak because Batman Batman argues it as though that they did like a noble thing, and it's like no, he was just afraid to take responsibility for the action. Right, you know, it was for much the act easier when he just them. voted, and someone else was going to yeah. do it. Like, because yep. like I think they say the vote, which was like it was like you know three hundred ninety four, one hundred and fifty against, or something like that. You know, so like you know, the vast majority of them are ready to blow up those people, but. Uh, they just didn't want to be the one to actually press the button. And so that's not, you know, that that's exactly what the Joker was saying, is that all people are kind of evil on the inside. Yeah, which obviously the, the Joker is, is proven wrong throughout the film, but not in that scene. He's proven wrong no. by, like, their love for Batman. Yeah, see, like, I, I agree that that scene is sort of ham-fisted in the sense that it just, it's it, it sort of, it's at odds with what it's trying to present. Instead of saying ham-fisted, we should say Bane-fisted, because he's got a really big fist. Bane big old fist on him 
Anyway, so <laughs> I don't know why I just thought about this, but I was watching the news here in uh, Tampa Bay, and there was some guy who was like, and this is a horrible story, but he was like molesting these um, autistic kids on a bus, and he got caught, and uh, obviously he has not been tried yet or anything else. So, you know, to what degree he's guilty, who knows? But they were interviewing people locally to get their reactions, and it was disgusting what people were saying. Like, it wasn't like, man, I'm glad they caught him. Like, this guy needs to be in prison. Like, that's disgusting, which is all be an appropriate reaction. Instead, it was like, we should all get together and go cut off his balls and, like, do to him what he did to those kids. And, like, they were just saying, like, horrible things about what they would do to him. And these people mean it. And, like, the news put that sure on there as, like, a normal reaction that people would have. And that reminded me of, like, this guy on the boat where he was just very much, like, black and white about killing all these people. But I think in real life that person would just do it. Like, I don't think that anyone in their, you know, I think that anyone who's, who is so ignorant as to say or suggest that that kind of like corporal or obscene punishment is acceptable. I just have no reason to believe that they wouldn't actually do it, you know? And I think that those people are sort of abundant in our culture. Like those people who want to harm and want to punish people, uh, in general. And I think that the scene to me almost sort of copped out on being honest about what people are like, because that character in real life, I suggest to you would have just blown up the boat. I really do. Uh, that's part of the reason that it sort of bombs out for me is because the movie wants to take this position that people in our society, there aren't very many of them who are like similar to the Joker, but in a lot of ways there are and they're everywhere. And I think that that would have been more honest for the film to deal with that that way. But maybe in the, to some degree that would have made the villain too complex. It's much easier yeah. just to say that he's wrong. Um. But I don't know if, well, yeah, I guess it does kind of say he's wrong. I don't know. Like, uh, I don't know if it's the movie's responsibility to get that deep into, like, the the inner workings of our culture and, you know. That's true, but then don't pause and have a social experiment in the middle middle of the film because yeah, that is it, what it's doing. It, in that, yeah, that is the problem because, it, like, you're kind of right. It, it does pretty much pause. I mean, it's intercut with Batman, like, taking out the SWAT team or whatever, which is kind of neat. But, um, yeah, the, the boat stuff is just, it's just a little bit too much. It's a little too over the top. We're um, still here. That means they haven't <laughs> killed us either. It's like, what are you? T- oh God, it's a bad scene, but not as bad, in my opinion, as Gordon's very brief, very unnecessary, completely meaningless death. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you, you watch, you revisited this movie before me, and you texted that to me. Contrived, and- ridiculous scene. Yeah, you know, and that's one of those things that, you know, again, that this is where it helps to revisit the movie, you know, being almost 10 years removed is that like the I remember the first time I saw that I was fucking floored by it. Like I thought it was so brilliant. Um, And, I, you know, I think a lot of the times that I watched it afterward, like I never even thought about that as being contrived. Um, But that's something that, again, like had that been done in the Zack Snyder movie, I would have ripped it apart. Um, You know, that's. you, you mentioned ahead. that because, like, you mentioned that again earlier with the bat stuff, but I would argue that this just doesn't work. Like, it, the bat thing works. Um, you're, you're right. You wouldn't have liked that in a Zack Snyder film, but this doesn't work in any movie, and it doesn't work in this one. No, but so. – uh, well, I mean, I just use that as an example. But, right. yeah, this is – like, I frequently rip stuff like this apart. I, you know, I always call it manufacturing drama. You know, it's something that the, the, the characters know and the director knows that they just deliberately keep from the audience for the sake of making us feel suspense. It's um, not really manufacturing drama. It's manufacturing – melodrama like they play this like sad somber music and the scene where like they're visiting you know his house to like reveal to his wife and kids that he's dead and then it's again that like again that same kind of approach uh, happens when they're doing that really in my opinion not so great rooftop scene 
where uh, Two Face is going to kill one of Gordon's kids, and like it oh, yeah. plays that melodramatic music again. And it was just it too is much. pretty melodramatic. Too much. Um, you, you know, so I, I guess it, like explain your point real like briefly um, for people that might not have seen this or you know realize that as being sort of contrived. Sure, I guess that my my position on it is is that they want to basically create an emotional moment of sort of like cheap growth for the Gordon character. So they, they figured like the best we do is just to kill him. But he his death is handled so heavy handedly where they go to his wife's house and it's playing this dramatic music and it's like playing and toying and abusing our emotions with a combination of the, the dialogue and the, the ridiculous music in the background. And like, you know, this character who's this only symbol, this only good symbol, in this very corrupt police force. Like he just dies in front of us. And then he, like 15 minutes pass and he's back. And I just felt like then, like they completely abuse the, you know, the completely abuse the emotions of the audience to like create this completely manufactured, very brief moment. And I feel like even if he had actually died, it would have been handled really poorly. But the fact that he comes back means that they just, I mean, it, it doesn't even make any sense. Like their explanation you know, for why he faked his death is completely absurd. See, so. like here's the thing: is like while I was watching this with with your point in mind that you had made to me before I revisited. Uh, you know, I was thinking... I just feel like, like I've seen this in a thousand other movies, too, where a character well, comes back to life. After yeah, well, I mean, he doesn't come back to life because he never died in the first place. Right, well, he um, fakes his death. And his, yeah. Come on. Uh, you know, but, like, the, the, the circumstances of him faking his death were, like, he... They had to know, like, when the people were going to shoot at the mayor, you know, because he, like, dives in front of him, and then, you know, people basically see him die, and he doesn't. Um... But no, like part of it, you know, it was sort of one of these things like it didn't bother me at first because, you know, while yes, Batman and Gordon know about this, like the rest of the characters in the film don't. So I was just like, okay, well, we can sort of no, temporarily Bat- take their perspective. No one knew about it. He knew about it. it. He knew no, about he didn't. No, it. He it was didn't. part of his plan. It's part I don't of his think plan. so, was it? I'm pretty sure it was. That's not that's not the position I got. I thought Gordon just sort of showed up in that freeway. I don't think the Batman well, knew about it because why would Batman I mean, go to his house? And stand there in the shadow so that his the wife could be like, you did this to us. You uh, brought this to us, Batman. <laughs> you brought this on us. Yeah, no, uh, I took that as him, like, sort of taking responsibility for uh, the sort of manipulation there. Like, he, you know, he, he was feeling bad that they were going to have to lie to his wife and kids and say that he was dead. Like that's the way I took it. I took it. It, it was their plan amongst the two of them because Maybe they were the was. only two that Maybe could I'm be trusted. Boy, I, um, I got to tell you, that is not the impression I got from seeing this movie like a dozen times. <laughs> either, either way, like it doesn't. My point is still the same in yeah. that you know most of the characters don't know. Like, see that that's usually my problem with these types of situations where you know the filmmaker knows that the character's not dead and you know all you know half the characters in the movie don't, but like uh, you know they just deliberately keep it from us. Whereas, like, I guess there are so many characters in the movie that, you know, most of them don't know. And there's even that line that, that gets repeated uh, from Harvey where it's like, you do like to play things close to the chest. Um, you know, so it's like, ah, that doesn't really bother me. But I guess the reason for him faking his death is absurd. Like, because it's basically just to be the SWAT team that puts a gun to the Joker's head. And it's like, anyone could have done that. It's not like Gordon was the only one that could like put a gun to the Joker's head when he was about to kill Batman. I I just like, it's dumb. It's a dumb scene, but like it creates this moment where like we're relieved. Thank God Gordon is alive. Now we're playing triumphant music to drive that home. It's come on. It's just, it's, I have no idea where it came from, but the, the melodrama towards the later part of this, the film regarding Gordon's family was all bad. 
all of it was bad in my opinion. I I didn't mind that. I mean, I, I liked the the sort of spiral that uh, that Harvey goes down. And he just becomes kind of psychopathic. No, and, he's a cool and, character. Like I think that he's yeah. not as complex or as interesting as the Joker. But I'm, I don't. I like. I think that his place in the movie is good. Uh, I think to some to some degree, like he he adds an extra uh, an extra interesting dynamic between the Joker and Batman. Um, and he's also a larger extension of the Joker himself. It's just that I don't think that that scene on the rooftop was a good scene, in my opinion. I thought it was fine. I mean. You know, even I guess even revisiting it, I thought it was fine. You know, I I don't I don't know if it was quite as affecting as it once was, but um, no, you know, but, that, but it that would have been be... if it were had the tone of Batman Begins, because then I could have just sort of taken the character at face value. But since we spent so much time on like the psychology of these villains, and I'm analyzing the psychology of Harvey, I felt like he wasn't quite realistic or interesting enough for me to totally buy him in the way I did the Joker. Like he really yeah. does jump to being a you know, a murderer within two seconds, which is kind of strange. I, I, I mean, I think it kind of made, I mean, he just lost everything in his life. Like his life just crumbled around him. You know, his half his body got burnt. Yeah. Um, not, you know, it's, it's a good reason to be a murderer. It's just that it's almost too brief for a movie. That's two and a half hours. Like sure, you know, should have sure. started I, the two phase transition. A lot you know, see like, well, that's, uh, see, I don't know if you could, because I, I mean, I like the way that it does it. It does it kind of naturally and it really, it really builds toward it. But like the thing is, I remember the first time I saw it, I actually thought that, uh, that was the end of the movie. And then there's like this extra 40 minutes where he's two face and he's running around killing people. Um, which you know, I, you know, you know I, like I, I agree, it's really maybe a little wrong. bit brief. It's a little weird. Like it really does kind of play and abuse the three act structure a little bit because it is sort of a pause in the film. It's not a pause in the film in the way the boat scene is, but it's still a pause in the film. Oh, there, there's literally a break. Like when uh, after Rachel dies, like yeah, the, there's literally like a break in the film, and then you know Harvey wakes up in the hospital, and it's like I I could see this being the last scene, um, and it would have been a great last scene. And then, and then there's like an extra 35, 40 minutes. And I think for the most part, they're pretty good. But um, yeah, there is the boat scene. And, you know, I guess, I don't know, Harvey being Two-Face is maybe a little bit, it's maybe a little bit too brief, a little bit too quick. Yeah, I think that he, they do a good job with it, though, in terms of the way it's filmed again. Like, I love that scene where he's breaking down in the hospital and pulling the bandages off his face. Like, it's Yeah, it's that's a great shot. It's a fuck, well, it, uh, they also do that whole montage there where Joker's getting away. Right, so he's in the, you know, shows Batman standing above the rubble. Like they do several scenes like that where Nolan takes a little bit of time out of here to basically uh, do one-off beautiful shots that also reveal character at the same time. So it's like Joker, and he's just like did this horrible thing, and he's just having fun and enjoying it. And Batman is like really, really like standing above the rubble of this building, and like we kind of feel or infer that this is something that is really troubling him deeply. Uh, you know, we see, you know, Harvey go psychotic through our eyes. Like, he does a really, uh, just a good job of revealing elements of who these characters are strictly through the visuals. Um, yeah. Um, I, they're good scenes, man. The whole, yeah, the whole I film agree. is loaded with stuff like that. Yeah, sometimes these earbuds tickle my ears a little bit. Yeah, um, too. So, um, going back to the Joker a little bit, because I'm kind of embarrassed in my comment, Brad, I want to ask, uh, so, do you feel like uh, those those kind of brilliant scenes where the Joker is talking about how he gets his scars and uh, you know, there's always some sort of kind of a ridiculous moment, right, where he, he develops him through some sort of life trauma. Uh, do you think that that is something that he is sort of playing on, or do you think this is a character who really went through some sort of trauma in his life or some horrible event 
because since he's not consistent with what this trauma is regarding his his past life, there is some element to me that uh, feels like it's just his extra way of fucking with people. Oh, I think that's absolutely what it is. And, <laughs> and, it, and like, I think the best part about it is it kind of fucks with the audience, too, because when he first does the one, I think it's uh, like my father was a drinker. Uh, you know, he was beating my mom one night and I, you know, I told him to stop and like gave me these scars or whatever. Like, you know, and it's something where you go like, holy shit, it's a really fucked up story. And like how, how horrible, like that's, that's really awful. Uh, and it sort of does make him kind of sympathetic and maybe identifiable for like a, a couple of minutes. But then there's the scene, like maybe 15 minutes later where he tells a completely different, a different story. story. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, yeah, I, I, oh man, I, I remember watching it the first time. That he must have some sort of like trauma that led him to be who he is, but maybe he was just born like this maybe he's just some sort of degree of sociopath this is what i meant to get across earlier i am not suggesting that i like or love this character um or and as a person i'm simply saying that i feel like a a sense of relation and sympathy towards him um and i think that that is is brought about and i think that again i want to mention (laughs) the killing joke brad where uh he it does show sort of the past trauma that joker went through when he was trying to be a clown and you know he was not able to be a real clown and uh, he had a lot of family problems and his family was killed and all this kind of stuff so does this movie have a joker with a tormented past and that's how he is now or is this yeah see, i think like you're this? i think you're bringing that into it and like i don't think that's on the screen it's not um it's not. And, and i think where you're getting tangled up is you're calling him sympathetic because like i i don't think he's a sympathetic character uh, at least the the Dark Knight screen version of him. Maybe I, I actually have not read The Killing Joke. You know, it's funny. An hour before we started recording, for some reason, I was going through boxes of comics that I had from like <laughs> eight years ago, and yeah. The Killing Joke was in there. And I've been meaning to read it. I didn't even realize I had purchased it, but I apparently it. I did. Alan Moore doesn't like it. Alan Moore really feels like any kind of human element from it is removed because he doesn't feel like the Joker is a human character to some degree, but I disagree with him. I feel like he really does a good job of actually humanizing or making us understand this sort of psychopath. And you're right, it's wrong of me to bring that into this film, but to some degree, I do feel like that is the Joker that Nolan chose to bring in here. Um, I mean, obviously, there's some originality to it, but like he did choose that Joker from the comic book pages, I think, um, just because of like how it really, you know, I don't know to what degree the stories the Joker tells in this movie are true regarding his past. Oh, I don't if think he really true. was. Yeah, but if he really was like tortured in that way as a child and stuff, it would make him more sympathetic. So would it? I, I mean, I, kind of. I mean, like I'm not saying it justifies so you, like being a violent terrorist or anything like that, but to some degree, that would make me understand where he came from, and he's a product of his environment, much like Batman is. And anyone who's a product of their environment to some degree deserves some well, sympathy. I, so, I mean, I I don't know. I think it would explain it, but it wouldn't excuse it. Um, no, I'm not saying excuse it. I'm not saying you should yeah, be in prison. I, no, I, I didn't mean to imply that. Right, but yeah. um, no, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, at, at a certain point, I just think there's uh, the explanation is irrelevant. And I think when you're blowing up hospitals and and literally just like killing people, stabbing people, cutting them up, uh, I I just I almost don't care what the reason is. No, I agree with you. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that. But like, it is. There is something to be said for anyone who is a product of their environment. And again, I think it harkens back to we know that Batman is. And since the movie is trying to draw these ties between Joker and him so much, it stands to reason the Joker is also, to some degree, a product of his environment. He may not have always been a bad person. And I kind of want to know what he experienced to make him this sort of crazy psychopath because his motivations aren't even necessarily clear. I love the scene in this movie where he burns the money and it's like he's not even interested in power or at least not to like a traditional degree. He doesn't give a shit 
about like how much money he accumulates or anything like that. Like he isn't interested in this material stuff at all, and that makes him interesting. And intriguing. Well, see, and that yeah, and that's another funny thing too is that you know in that in that early, I think it's the second scene. Well, I mean, the first scene is him robbing a bank. You know, so like generally, like you would think it's about money, and then in the second scene that that he's in, but you know, the pencil scene. Uh, you know, he offers to kill Batman and they say, how much do you want? And he says, I want half of your money. And so you like constantly think that like, yeah, maybe he is motivated by money. And then in the end, he just has this giant pyramid of money that he sets on fire, yeah, uh, which that. is I just amazing chaos. He's the embodiment of chaos, man, where he basically wanted this money the entire time as leverage over the mobsters who want it, but he had no interest in it himself at all. And I think that that is kind of fascinating. And I guess maybe that is an indication that he is interested in power. It's just not necessarily necessarily in terms of wealth and accumulation of things so um but he, he i don't know man i mean he he is a really really interesting and intriguing character and i feel kind of like to some degree that i'm fascinated by him oh um, i'm yeah like i i totally understand that he is absolutely fascinating he steals the movie and heath ledger's performance and i think that some degree like we all sort of read into how great it was because he died before the movie came out and you See, know i don't think i did to tell you the truth i really feel like i did but now when i can step back and watch this again i'm like no it is a great performance and he creates a great character but i think that what the one thing that i missed out on when heath ledger died is i didn't really pay attention to how great of a character uh christian bale plays too and uh the bruce wayne and as he continues to grow in the dark knight much more interesting with the 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 way that he there are more scenes of him pretending and faking uh, his life as Bruce Wayne in this movie, and we get to learn about a lot about who he is and how he is motivated. And I think Bale, uh, his performance should also be commended, and I think that it doesn't get as much credit as like Heath Ledger's, and it really should. So, Christian no, I agree. A fucking great actor, dude. What a great actor he is. Oh, man. of course. Um, it's like I guess I get yeah. So revisiting it, you still think? Do you think Ledger deserved the Oscar? I uh, you know what I do, and I I think that initially if you hadn't seen this movie your reaction may be like well that was kind of pandering to him just because he died but yeah he he not only he creates a complex interesting villain where it is there are lots of acceptable uh, opinions on who he is or how he's motivated that are all valid and that to me is a hard character to play and he plays him so perfectly disturbingly you know ugh just like gets under your skin perfectly like this this movie still bothers me and haunts me uh like those scenes where he's like in Rachel's face with the knife and stuff and he's telling about how he got his scars, like those are still intense and weird to watch after seeing this a dozen times. I see I love the filmmaking in that too because it, it like it's it, the film or the, sorry, the camera is just rotating around them constantly and it's just gradually getting closer and closer. And then, you know, and then Batman is like right next to him and so it's like a surprise to the audience. But like, man, like it gets really intimate and really creepy in that in that span of like one minute where the you know, the camera's just constantly spiraling in and in. Um and man, it it, it what an exciting scene. It is. Um, it is. And like, you know, it and see that's the thing too, is like cause the Joker's kind of funny. Uh, yeah, I know. And, and like that, it sort of speaks to that magnetism that he has. Where like yeah. we, I just like watching him every time he's on the screen. It's just like electric. Um, and man, I, I don't know. Like, do you, so? Do you think he would have won the Oscar if he hadn't died? Uh, I think it's very, very possible. I think that he definitely deserves to be nominated at the very least. I mean, it's a it's a damn good role that he plays, man. Like it's. It's incredible. Like I, to some degree, I don't know, and I'm not gonna read into it and say that this played into a lot of his death. But I had read these these interviews with Christian Bale, where he talked about how like 
Heath Ledger demanded that Christian Bale actually punch him in the interrogation scene and would not break character at all. And like he really got into the mind and the psyche of his character uh, that See, he plays. And it shows on screen, dude. It really You know, does. like I remember I remember when, you know, when he died and all those those like reports came out about like, oh, the Joker is such a dark character. And there was something that even like uh Jack Nicholson, like there was a report that Jack Nicholson had warned him about playing the Joker. And like, oh, yeah, you know, it kind of gets into your head. Because that, like, that joke is so goofy and fuck stupid. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that just seems so outrageous to me. Yeah, that like, is a completely different Joker that Jack Nicholson plays. That is a very much yeah. traditional comic book Joker. You know, it's just like he's he's a fucking actor, and he's a really good one at that. Like, if he had been walking around the, the year before pretending to be Bob Dylan because he was in I'm Not There, then maybe that argument would hold weight. Or if, like, he bought a ranch after being in Brokeback Mountain then maybe I would believe that. But, like, that was such a fucking ridiculous idea that the Joker, like, drove him to suicide. Yeah, I'm, I'm not suggesting that. was so that. fucking I'm asinine. Not suggesting that no, all, like, I, I know you're not suggesting that. intimately deep, deep in this character. Like, sure, no, sure. I, like, he clearly did. Uh, but, like, yeah, I mean, like, I'm not suggesting that you are, are making that oh, point. Oh, yeah, people but, were man, making the that claim media the media did. Like, that was huge. Everybody thought that. That's and because it's a neat soundbite to say in a news program. That's true. You know? That's totally true. Um... You know, but like I, it is kind of a funny thing because I remember when uh, I remember in two thousand five when they announced uh, the Dark Knight and they announced that Heath Ledger was going to be in it and he was going to play the Joker and everyone was like, "Oh my God, that guy!" And uh, you know, and I remember thinking like, I I really liked Heath Ledger at the time, so like I thought it was really cool and I thought it was great that he turned in like just an outrageously good performance. Yeah. So, um, let me. Yeah, I I agree. So, let me ask you this: Do you think that Bale gets as much uh, credit for this film as he deserves? Because I feel like there is some definite growth between Bruce Wayne and Batman, and the way that he sort of balances those almost two completely different uh, people in his own head. Like there really is some legitimate uh, growth from the Bale character that I think that Bale puts on screen, and I just never hear Christian Bale getting credit for how well he played Batman. I just don't. You know, like I, I okay, I think he's great. Um, and I think the only thing you ever really hear about it is people making fun of the the, the Batman voice, voice. Which, by the way, is one of the best things about it. I love the way yeah. he employs it, too. I think it's great. Fuck yeah. Um, Fuck yeah. I, I think it's know, a great addition. Like, I, I think it's one of those things that it's just one – it's it's like when you bring up Nolan's Batman, it's, it's the one thing that is like instantly identifiable as being that movie. You know, so it's just like this easy thing to make fun of and like – snl sketches and stuff like that yeah. and so like i don't i don't know if it's necessarily that people actually think it's dumb as it's just easy to pick out and and sort of pick on and make fun of um Dude, because i think, I think it's great be... and it totally makes sense and it like is in keeping with this sort of realistic world because like why would he just use his bruce wayne voice like that's absurd not only that but i like the way that he he basically doesn't bring that voice out until the dark night and i think that his character is also sort of dealing with his own identity crisis and a little bit of psychosis because i love the way that the bail like subtly deploys the voice so there's that great scene where joker comes to invade the party and before that he's bruce wayne and he's mingling with people you know he's this this uh you know kind of elitist douchebag that he's sort of created for himself and the second the joker shows up he's in business mode and he's using the batman voice even though he's not in costume and it just shows like that is a separate personality a separate character that bal is bringing into this and like it's it, to some degree bruce wayne has multiple personalities and i think the voice is an extenuation of that and i love it i fucking love it 
Well, yes, yeah, so yeah. I love uh, I love the Dark Knight too because it really gets into the the double life or the, like the appearance of a double life that he has to live. You know, yeah. so like I love when they're you know that that scene in particular. Uh, you know, he shows up late to his own party and then he's like kind of he pretends to be kind of drunk when he's giving that speech for Harvey. Uh, and then, like, when he needs a cover for why he's going to, like, leave town for a while, he absconds with the whole Russian ballet. Yeah, I love it. He's like, just, just a douche. ridiculous. He's a yeah, like, he's an absolute <laughs> tool. Um, but I yeah, love it, man. they, they I love do it so well. They do, and uh, yeah, they, they really do. Um, so let's talk about a movie that doesn't do it very well. You want to jump into The Dark Knight Rises? <laughs> so I think that, again, man, this is something that, that deals with a lot of, like, um, heavy handed social themes and handles them really poorly. It's it's the one thing I, the one thing that I want to say before we start this is Meg, if you're listening, we I saw the Dark Knight with her in theaters, and she was like, the ending to the Dark Knight she said was sad, and it made her feel really sad because they were chasing after Batman. And I was like, well, I think that it was great, it was kind of brilliant because I loved you know the line about like Harvey Dent being the real hero that Gotham needs or whatever. Plus, I felt like there's going to be another movie, so it's not really sad because this is part of the tragedy of Batman. Plus, there's going to be a third film, but now it's ironic. Her comment makes sense to me now. The ending of that movie is sad because the conclusion we got is shitty. <laughs> I think yeah. The Dark Knight Rises is um, it's an unbelievably well done movie in the vein of uh, normal Christopher Nolan stuff. But Brad, this is a bad film. This is not a good movie. Yeah, you know. So like, I, I had mentioned that like I was trying to justify why I didn't like it the first time, <laughs> and I remember I rewatched it like before Interstellar came out about a year and a half ago, and I was just like, I came to the conclusion that it was a really well made bad film oh, um time to go then, mobile you know <laughs> and like i didn't even want to rewatch it for this like i, I was just like you know i'm kind of good like it's a long movie i don't i like i i feel like i got it but i did and boy i think i liked it even less this time oh, i hated it um, more this time yeah especially because like i i just it the the social the social uh the socioeconomic themes they bring into here are the worst part of this because they don't make any sense they spend so much time at the beginning showing how batman is obsolete and, like, there still is this, like, extreme classism, so we're back to poverty and uh, sort of, like, uh, the distribution of wealth being Gotham's greatest problem. So it seems like it's setting up some sort of social theme, like Catwoman, who I forgot was a character in this, Anne Hathaway, <laughs> such a brilliant actress, and they, they just completely waste her talents. She has that line where she's at the party well, with Bruce, and she says, like, you know, this revolution is coming, and you're going to wonder how you ever lived such an extravagant lifestyle how, how you live so large that yeah, doesn't yeah. go anywhere none of that goes well, anywhere you know, what, you know what's really sad you yeah. know what's sad is that uh first of all not only do they waste anne hathaway but they waste catwoman uh yeah I know. like they just I don't mean, do anything with catwoman great character they had to shove her um, in there they had to shove as many batman characters yeah. as they possibly fucking could in here you got scarecrows back in this movie with a somewhat larger role than he had in the, the last one and well see uh, i guess to to comment on that real quick i love his role in the dark knight which is you know the whole idea that is like escalation and so he he's like in the very beginning and he's just like you know he spent batman begins being like the main villain oh my god he's so crazy no, he's just like a and then in this dealer. one he's just yeah he's just like a street thug it's like who cares about this guy I this guy this guy's small time um but now yeah in this a one judge on a court yeah, which was like, I feel like that was a little was stupid. I feel like, Let's uh, just say it. It was dumb. It made no sense at all. Completely ridiculous. I, I have no, I mean, I can't even like, I can't even fathom the rationale behind the scene other than they wanted to put that character back in here because it, they're trying it, it to shove like as many as they service. could. Like, yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I like I, I oh oh Catwoman like you know that line about you know how did how did you guys are gonna wonder how you ever live so large without leaving any for the rest of great us great line like, that, that was a think great some death line is coming and some it was one of those things coming. like watching the trailer for this movie and I rewatched it after watching the film this time and uh, like it's a great trailer and it's full of like all the best lines from the movie it makes it look really deep and like it's gonna be this powerful movie and boy like the 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 actual result the the reality of it was just asinine and there's empty just, there's just so much about that that doesn't make any sense it's like constantly contradicting itself like i love how we spent all this time in the dark night showing like this police corruption and how gotham is like this complete shithole in terms of like there's only one good cop left and that's gordon and then in the third film it opens up talking about the harvey dent act which gave police officers the teeth to fight crime which i assume means they invaded some kind of civil liberty and it works out no more crime in Gotham. Everything worked out great. And, like, that really is what happened. And I thought that was just, like, watching them back to back, that to me just felt like that was disgusting. And that was really, really, I was really, really shocked that Christopher Nolan would do that. Uh, because that is not how stuff like that works out in real life. Like, police just get more powerful and the crime continues. It just becomes more organized. Well, and, uh, and yet, I guess the other thing about that, too, is, like, police become more powerful and more noble at the same time. God like, damn. bullshit. <laughs> Give me a break. Awful. Awful. Uh, what a, like, and, and, like, I kind of thought that I thought when I watched that, I was like, well, this goes somewhere, right? Like, it shows, like, the police being even more corrupt. It doesn't. That never happens. Like, the moral of the story here is that they really did clean up crime and Batman is obsolete. So now the issue with the, is the social forces in Gotham because, like, that root cause has never been solved. But then the movie doesn't even really give an example of why it thinks there is a sort of this poverty. It's almost like it feels like it's the job of billionaires to come in and save poor people now is sort of the movie The Message sends because Bane, who is the actual sort of social revolutionary <laughs> in this film, he invokes imagery of, from Occupy Wall Street of him literally crashing the stock market, yeah. taking it hostage, taking it down. He's the villain. And Bruce Wayne, the billionaires of Gotham, are the hero. And it's like, what the fuck is this? Is this like a propaganda film for, like, capitalism? Like, what is the message here? Like, we need more police power and more billionaires to trickle down their wealth. It's like, what the fuck is this? But then is that the message it's sending? I don't even know. Well, see, that's the thing. is Like, I, like I, you know, so I was, like, a little bit tipsy while I was watching this because I was, I was kind of bored. So I was just, like, drinking. And, uh, and like the movie didn't make any sense to me, which it didn't the first two times I saw it either. It doesn't um, make any sense now. Yeah. You know, but like sense. if, you know, so I was doing a little bit of show prep and I was just Googling like, you know, like analysis of the dark Knight. Like I wanted to see what people thought it was. And there were like, I, I mean, there are a dozen different arguments for it that are all contradictory. And like yours is only one of them. Uh, and it's just like, I feel like that is, that makes sense to me because the movie just didn't, it didn't really come down on any one side and it does contradict the other films in the series and it contradicts itself, you know, 30 minutes later. Uh, it's just a completely unfocused movie. You know, like I, I did make some like sort of drunken rambling notes and one of them was that, yeah, the stock market social commentary just does not work. It does not land. Um, I just man, it doesn't I, land, but it's it's handled it's handled like so deliberately and so and again like see, hate, we keep using this term here, but heavy handedly like he literally smashes down Wall Street, yeah, and he conquers does. the stock market, <laughs> yeah. 
which is definitely obviously a play on Occupy Wall Street, which was pretty popular when this movie came out. Yeah, you know, yeah. That was sort of just winding down. And the movie seems to have this message where Bane, who's speaking like a social revolutionary, to the point where he has followers who are willing to die for him because they believe so much in this this sort of, I don't know, this fire that he's bringing, which I guess is social equality. I'm not really sure what I, that fire dude, is. Dude, I don't or, know. But like, I feel like the movie is sending the message that the people who promise you sort of like this, this like better, uh, free or more equitable world are the real villains. I guess that's the message I was getting from it because Bane is obviously like sending those lines, but he's obviously a fucking liar. Like he's just a scumbag. He's just a total liar. But I see again, like that Anne Hathaway, we like her and she seems to be interested in kind of what Bane is saying. I liked her instantly. I don't know about you. I thought she was cool no. as hell. See, yeah. I think I, one of my problems with Catwoman was that um, it felt like a cop out that they basically took this girl who's like, you know, she's kind of a villain, and they just tried to make her really sympathetic. Like all she was trying to do was clear her name. That's the only reason she was robbing stuff in this movie was that she wanted to like, you know, somebody had leverage on her, and she wanted to get her name cleared from like the FBI database or something well, like that. See, okay, well, you're you're correct, and you're a little bit incorrect as well because they do sort of uh, they time this really well where they're talking about the boys home that Wayne used to fund and how the kids there they get out and they can't get jobs so they go work for Bane and Anne Hathaway is saying basically like I would be a legitimate person but I have a record and I can't get a job in the market so like I've just been doing what I can to survive and I thought that that made her kind of likable and interesting right off the bat it's just that she's wasted uh, it's just that she doesn't really necessarily go anywhere they don't develop her any further because there's too many characters here to develop this has Spider-Man 3 problems it, it really does. Too it many does. goddamn characters develop here, which means none of them get developed, including Bruce Wayne, who, like, I thought there was going to be some depth there early on when we're like, God, well, he's depressed and he's a recluse, and it's because he's no longer Batman, because Batman's obsolete. But then we find out, no, that's not the reason he's a recluse. It's because he had this plan to bring, like, free renewable energy, Tony Stark style, to Gotham. <laughs> yeah. And he wasn't able to do it, and that's what made him sad. So that was growth on his part. But then it ends there. That is it. That is the last time Bruce Wayne developed. And like, what a what a weak idea, too. I mean, that like that would just cripple him. I know. That, like, I thought because he's, like, he's even like physically like impaired. He you know he walks with a cane and stuff. Like he's totally damaged from it. And it's well, just I want to know like, what that leg brace he uses is, where he goes from can't walk to kicking bricks. Smashing bricks with his foot, like I don't know that was. <laughs> so that just dumb. That, that took the, gu- to, the bat gadgets yeah. a little too far for me. That was almost that was way goofier than uh, calling bats to your aid with your foot. It really was. <laughs> it was well because that was the thing too. Is that you know I, I kind of you know it was almost this thing like I, I feel like you were never going to top the Dark Knight, and so I, I feel like the strategy was just like well we're just going to do something completely different. We'll take you know it'll take place eight years later. He's like physically deformed. He's a Oh, you know he's an old man and like we'll just try and see what we can do with this and instead like they still like he's he's sort of like the most just sort of um like stereotypically ass-kicking hero type in this movie than he is in the other two like he doesn't really fight in the other ones in quite the same way that he fights here like this is literally the movie where it ends with him literally in a fist fight with you know with the villain uh, like yeah. punching no, him in the face. It's literally, like uh, they said this in the IGN podcast, but the film could basically be summed up as uh, introduction, fist fight one, fist fight two. As the plot points. <laughs> See, that's the thing. That's the amazing thing about about the first two is that they avoid they, that completely. They don't like he doesn't actually fight them. Like no, I mean, he, he does but beat Joker up the has Joker, that line but where Joker's like, "Do you think I would waste you know Gotham's fate in a fist fight with you?" And it's kind of making fun of the the superhero yeah. stereotype, you know. <laughs> 
because they don't really actually have the fist fight, but in this movie, they literally have the actual. And in this fight. one, they they literally just bring in the brawny villain who just likes to beat people up, and it was just like, what the fuck is this? Who they had a chance to make interesting. I still don't they understand. Did. I love that scene in the plane early on, or at least I should love it if it were in the correct context. Where like he tells the guy like, you have to stay behind. We need one of our own in the wreckage, and the guy's like. Oh, God, it's time? Like, the revolution's coming? And Bane's like, yes, the fire rises! And you're like, wow, Bane is interesting. Cool, they no, d- developed this really stupid I never villain. thought that. I uh, did. I did. I thought it was going to be interesting. You know, it's funny. Wasn't. Like, that scene never worked for me. And and here's the thing. is like, I'll, I'll compare it to The Dark Knight, in which, you know, we get that. that's another movie that opens with uh, sort of an extended sequence with the villain doing some act of destruction. And in that one, that's we that get— That's so meticulous, though. Dark Knight it is, scene. That, yeah, that's the thing, is it is meticulous, and it, like, sets everything up. And I love how, like, before you meet the Joker, you have, like, his sort of, you know, like, all those people that are involved that he hires, like, his crew, and they show them, they're talking, and they're like, do you— know who this guy is have you seen his face like i hear he wears makeup like war paint like there's all these like things that sort of like are just like subtly building him up and then it like builds up to that scene where he like finally reveals like he takes off his clown mask to reveal clown makeup like just amazing like everything about that scene just tells us who the joker is and it yeah, just not, develops it's a great balance of someone who is obviously the pure embodiment of chaos but also brilliant the way that he actually yes. like brings that plan together it reveals to us who he is and i'll agree with you the bane scene does not do that it does not reveal at all who bane is and that's definitely a flaw but it was a setup that i felt like there was going to be something interesting with this character because there is that cool scene in the sewer and i Again, it's not cool looking back, but when I first saw it, I thought something interesting was coming where he tells the guy, like, search him and then I'm going to kill you. And the guy just does it. They're like, well, there must be like something Bane has over these people. Yeah. That is never revealed to us at all. Well, see, so that five times now, I still don't know what his special power is. That's an interesting thing. And that goes back to like what we were talking about with, you know, the, the, the boot signal for the the bats to come you know we're like when you trust that the director is going to take you somewhere you're totally willing to go with your suspension of disbelief is like you're so willing to to take that ride and in this i feel like for a while i was totally into it like the first time i saw it like yeah i kind of agree i I was into it and i was intrigued by what bane was doing and then when nothing comes of it it's all it's like the crash is is just it hurts so much more that like oh oh fuck like I almost feel like a fool for going along with this because this was just so fucking dumb from the start. Oh, yeah. And that's what happens when I watch it. When I, Like, every time I've rewatched it, which is only three times now, like, I just like it less and less because it's just like, this means nothing. This has no bearing on what happens later on. Yeah. And so, like, it just kind of pisses me off. Like, the whole time I was watching this time, I was watching with my girlfriend. Like, I'm just, like, pounding beers just going, like, this is fucking terrible. Like, I have a screenshot of my texts to you during this. Yeah, they're, they're funny, man. I've read them in the morning. They, but you're right on. Like, your reaction was very similar to mine, except that I watched this sober. You know, I I, um, I try to watch this with my mom, and then I watch a little bit of it because I missed sort of the beginning tonight before we did the show. It's it's just a chore. Like, it's a, it's sort of a chore to get through because it's, it's constantly playing with us and toying with us and making us believe there's something larger here below the surface. But there's really no depth here at all. Like, it, it creates the illusion of having social themes, and it creates the illusion of them being the foundation for this film's narrative. But... That payoff never comes. I well, think that yeah. that is the most disappointing part to me is this, is the thematic elements plus the formulaic stuff. Like, oh, God. I mean, like, he literally puts Batman in a fucking escapable trap like a Bond villain. It's unbelievable. It's this the is, stupidest it, thing ever. Okay, uh, like, I, we, we talked about this a little bit off air, but yeah. is this a Bond movie with Batman? You know, I didn't really Did, think that. Like, I'd always thought that, that Bane was a little bit of Bond villainy, but now that I think about it, the point you made about, like, the girl that... 
like uh, you know, Rosal Ghul's daughter that Batman falls in love with and stuff for a little while. Like, there's literally a sex it? scene in this movie, dude. It's by a very fireplace. Much a Bond formula <laughs> film, isn't it? You got to think about it. you have the gadgets in place. You have this. Yes. You have this ridiculous ticking clock scenario and a world-ending kind of villain who's like talking about like world-ending, you know, like yeah, civilization. This mad ending, villain. You know? He has this crazy philosophy. Yeah, that just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's this is outrageous. very much a Bond film. It really and, is. And and even the villain explains his plot to the hero before he does it. Oh, so yeah, monologues like, it's, to him and then like his reason for letting the hero just... live makes no sense which is like yeah it was good I'm gonna destroy Gotham but I want you to see it and watch it so you feel hope and then you can really understand the real destruction of Gotham but it isn't until you feel hope where you really understand what destruction is like hope which... is the catalyst it's like, it's like what, what are you, are you talking, talking about, about? <laughs> <laughs> just blow up the city for fuck's sake honestly you know and, oh man like I, I feel like just go on, push like, the button annihilating this for a long time like you know, and that's the thing too, is that like you know, no, because like, I want the people who got them to feel hope and like li- understand what it's like to live under my thumb, so they can actually have hope that they're gonna live, and then I'll kill them. It's like, well, they're gonna die. They're dead. Then I don't understand. Yeah, like you're, you know, playing the thing. Make any sense. The thing is, like he, because wasn't he like winning people over, and like people thought he was cool, and he was this yeah, revolutionary. Like, again, he's and then a he was just gonna kill them. Yeah. Like I was just like, what? Yeah, he, he what basically is the he point hijacked Occupy Wall Street and uh, turned it into a nuclear bomb hostage scenario. I don't really understand. None of this makes any sense. You know what's weird is like we talked about how Razo Ghoul's explanation really doesn't make sense, but it doesn't bother me because like we don't spend so much time explaining it to us constantly. This film pounds it into our head every few minutes. Bane has some line of dialogue, or Gordon has some line of dialogue about why Bane's a liar and why his message is false. Like he's some sort of false prophet. And it's like I don't even know what his message is, Gordon. So I don't know what kind of I don't know what the fuck you're complaining about. Well, see, that's, that's the thing is like this movie. This movie like tells and doesn't show, whereas I feel like the other ones show and not tell. Like oh, this yeah. this is one yeah. where like it's constantly like you need to be afraid of Bane because he's crazy, or like you yo you should really fear him, and it's just kind of like. Why? Because he's tough? Yeah, like, he's I just... a big dude with a weird mask? Yeah. I don't yeah. get it. You want to talk like, about a villain who isn't interesting or depthful? Hang on one second. Uh-oh. Can you hear this cat? Yeah, we can hear the cat. Let's take a little break. That is not <laughs> Catwoman. Cat. Yeah, we got that, it. that is a cat. It's not Anne Hathaway either. Take a little pause. Bring it back. All right, sorry about that. That's all right, man. I told you before about leaving the cat in the Cinematic Tangent uh, production studio. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Be our logo. (laughs) So you want to talk about, like, uh, we were talking about how, like, Joker's this interesting villain. Um, Bane is is sort of weird, like, and I think to some degree, like, Scarecrow's kind of straightforward. Bane is almost like creating the illusion of the depth and sort of interesting relatability of Joker. Um, but really he's just sort of straightforward like Scarecrow, but since they spend so much time in exposition and false development with him, it gives him, uh, like a completely, <laughs> a completely unjust sense of interesting depthfulness that just makes him even more disappointing. What a horrible, horrible well, villain know, and a like waste it's... of Tom Hardy, a great actor. Oh, great actor. Yeah. Like you mentioned that, um... Oh, excuse me, I'm burping. Like, you know, like um, the movie has so much self-importance regarding its own message, which is incomprehensible. Well, I mean, like, so you mentioned Batman Begins when Ra's al Ghul tells, like, his whole thing about, like, oh, we sacked Rome, and every time a civilization gets too big for its own good, like, we, we're there to bring it back down yeah. to size. Like, yeah. and, and, like, but the thing is, the thing with that is, like, maybe that's kind of a dumb thing to say, or maybe, maybe it's sort dumb, of, sort of because asinine. he's, like, but, immortal like, and ancient, I just let it go. Well, the other thing, too, is, like, understanding that I don't understand. The other thing is that that explanation is, like, 
25 seconds. Yeah, Whereas exactly. Doesn't, the it's Dark Knight Rises, every 15 like, minutes. Main, yeah, like so Constantly. much. The crime of this oh, is that so much God. fucking time is spent on it, and we don't understand it in the end. Like, I still have, I literally had to Google, like, what the fuck was he talking about? And, like, I didn't find it, so I still don't know. I can't tell you. Yeah, no, um, that's because it's not there, man. You know what's sad about this is there aren't even, like, any really interesting or memorable action scenes because I'm so focused on the social stuff, which they pound in my head. Like, I can't even remember some cool moments in this that I really enjoyed. You know, so, like, I, yeah. okay, I'll, like, I, I want to compare two scenes from, you know, one from this and one from The Dark Knight. Oh, you're um, going to bring up the bat, aren't you? Yes. So, like, there's there's literally a scene, like, you know, this is, like, I just think this was such lazy, like, you know, first of all, the exposition in this is really lame, um, and I'll get to that in a second, but, you know, so, like, the, yeah, the bat is introduced where, like, Lucius and, and Bruce are just, like, looking at something, and they're just like, oh, are you gonna bring that thing out again? And, like, we don't see it, and it's like, they're clearly talking about that, and then when he actually does bring it out, it's just kind of like, yeah, so what? Whereas, like, you know, if you contrast that with the scene from The Dark Knight when, when the bat cycle comes out, which is, like, you know, the, the, the Batmobile breaks, like, breaks down and then so it's, like, cool. the ejector sequence. It's, like, something that you never saw coming and then it was, like, oh, my God. Like, you thought the you thought the action sequence was over and then it just continued. Like, it almost, like, kicks it up a notch. It was, like, holy <laughs> fuck, this is awesome. Whereas, like, the bat or, you know, like, whatever, the bat copter, whatever the fuck it's called, the plane – I it's it's just so lame. It is fucking lame. And, and its introduction that, the whole is where they introduce it as lame because it's like Batman had this this one-off vehicle they used in The Dark Knight which was this prototype. Well, it turns out a dozen of those prototypes exist so that later Bane oh, yeah. can have them all oh. and we can have some cool scene where we've up the ante by having more Batmobiles. Come it's on. So lame. Terrible. And like that's what's sad about it, man, is even those action sequences are completely bunk because they don't derive from the plot like they do in the original films it's like oh oh what a disaster you're completely spot on about like that the forced nature <laughs> yeah, of trying it, to like, add coolness to this movie well it, it was just one of those things like this totally suffered from you know like, i feel like it's at odds you know i made that point earlier where like okay you know th- this movie was never going to be better than the dark knight was so they tried to like take it in a different direction but it still suffers from that that like impulse to make it bigger and better like we'll just pour more money into it and like oh we had a scene with like 15 people fighting last time we'll have a scene with like 400 people fighting this time where it's like all the psychopaths from the prison and all the cops in the city they're gonna like go head to head in this big battle it's like who gives a fuck like that was so boring dumb dumb absolutely dumb especially because like i can't believe it's so self-important and like takes its coolness factor so seriously when it's really just going to end in a fucking fist fight between Bane and Batman anyway. You know, like... Hathaway's going to drive in there and save the day. <laughs> so, like, we, we talk about Ebert all the time on this show, and, like, it's my contention that he was, like, going crazy in his later years. I read his review. I actually um, read mine, too, where I said that Christopher Nolan doesn't make a bad film, and I kind of, like, defended this movie a little bit. I don't stand by my own position on this. No, so, so I, I read his review before the show, too, and, uh, like, he has that line in there where it's, like, you know, Bane does all this crazy stuff, and then, it, you know, like, his point being that it ends with a fist fight in the villain, and it's, like, so he blows up all of Gotham's bridges, and then he, to top that, he punches Batman in the face? <laughs> it's, like, it's how, dumb. yeah, like, the, the escalation of that is so lame. It's just, like, who gives a shit? Yeah, but in Ebert's defense, Ebert did give oh, it three no, no. stars, and then he, oh. gave, he gave the first two four. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I think that no, his comment is totally it's perfect. Oh no, I agree. Like, okay, we, we go sorry, from we go saying. from seeing these amazing like these incredible images of like him just causing all this destruction, and then it, like his his greatest act, his last act of defiance is to punch a guy in the face. Oh, it's dumb, like, man, and especially because like that is literally combined with an actual beat the clock scenario. And for I know that <sighs> the first one is too, but beat the clock scenarios don't bother me in movies unless there's an actual no. literal ticking fucking clock. Well, see, that's the thing is like in, in Batman <laughs> Begins, there isn't a clock. It's just he has to he has to prevent the train from getting there. Right, which because, is a very similar Chad, notion. Because that train as you know, out. if the train had gotten to Wayne Tower, then all the sewer systems would have blown up. All the would have blown the whole city. That's how they all converge on Wayne Tower. <laughs> Yeah, this one, man, is like literally an actual ticking fucking clock, man. And this came out the same year you had Avengers and the Spider-Man film. So you had three fucking movies that year with beat the clock scenarios. What a... What an audio! You want to talk about contrived? That is, oh contrived. god, you know, and like so. The, I started to mention earlier, but like the worst part about that too is like the 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 way that time is treated in this movie. So like it keeps cutting back between like Gotham and these like the months of the weird occupation of Bane, uh, and uh, Bruce Wayne in that circular prison. That's yeah. inescapable. Oh, you mean he the escapes, prison they put course. him in so that he could watch, so he could feel hope by watching Gotham, but then he's going to die from the, the hope will be lost and then he'll be really destroyed. So, so dumb. Yeah. Um, that's where Bane came from, that prison. That's how he got out of that prison there. He's the first person to ever escape it, and that's why Bane is interesting. So dumb. Um, no, but so, like, the, the way they treat time is like when they're cutting back from Gotham, it's just like the resistance, you know, like, oh, we have four months until the bomb goes off and then they cut to Bruce Wayne and they cut back and it's like we have 47 <laughs> minutes until the bomb goes off it's and like they, what they, not only that what they abuse time in this because somehow Batman gets out of that pit and gets <laughs> yeah. back to Gotham in time to punch Bane in just the face just in time <laughs> just in, in time yeah. just on like the final day nonsense so like, I just like I just can't believe like, that I ever defended this movie I cannot believe that I one time I thought this was okay I just I can't accept that it's unbelievable well, you know, like so we mentioned that like the exposition in the first two films is so good that like it just it, it makes all these ridiculous elements seem logical or at least kind of realistic or or, or at least just derivation of the plot like they've already been presented to us so even if they're ridiculous it's okay because we've been prepared for it right <laughs> um whereas in this one it's just like he it's so lazy that like, he literally just sets things like the ending that he sets up is just like the first scene with alfred he's just like hey you know i always imagined that like i was always hoping while you were away that you were just with a girl and i would go to a cafe and see you and it was just like that's how oh, the movie God. ends, and it was yeah. such it, like that. It's to, it's just stolen straight out of Goodwill Hunting. Like, like I said earlier, <laughs> Nolan loves tying the first act back to the third act. I mean, like you're supposed to to some degree. Like that's just screenwriting 101, but he does it very, very like deliberately and intentionally. I think that's the only reason that he has Rosal Ghul's daughter in here, other than the fact that yeah, you know, like because they want to tie it in back to the whole League of Shadows and having Bane be a member of the league of shadows who was too radical so they kicked him out yeah he seems too, too radical, radical for the like, league of shadows <laughs> <laughs> he's a little too radical like he didn't tie a bomb to a train to have it go to wayne tower to knock all the water mains <laughs> it's yeah. like I, yeah i just but like uh the thing i was gonna say about this i wonder how much control over this nolan had because uh this is uh, maybe i'm reading way too much into this but like at the time um uh so in the comic book, Batman and Rosalind's daughter really do have a relationship, and they have a child named Damien, who is Robin, essentially. Grant Morrison set up this whole storyline with it. But then at the time that this movie came out, I believe there was like a series going on with Batman and Robin, Rosalind's child, 
in the comic book form. And I kept thinking to myself, like, is that the reason they brought his daughter into this? Because her placement, other than to make reference to the original film, serves no purpose. Like, she serves absolutely zero purpose in developing or adding depth to the character in any way whatsoever. I just, she's a, it's a complete waste of someone who is a very good character in the comic book. And I felt like, was it obligatory that they put her in here because they wanted to have synergy with the comic sales? Because I know the studio had a lot of control over this film. They made him remix it to change Bane's voice. Yeah, there's a lot of outcry from the trailer. Uh, Yeah, which, which, by the way, I was kind of curious to see the original. You know, I'm kind of curious to see what he actually sounded like because there's only one line of dialogue in that trailer. So, you know, like... I wonder because I, I feel like a lot of the like his his nonsensical bluster yeah, comes maybe, off from the fact that he's talking like this all the time. Maybe, well, but maybe it would have been cooler if we didn't quite hear it all. If yeah. we didn't hear all of his kind of bullshit. Uh, it, I don't it's know. Just, it's remixed poorly because he's so loud. All I can think of in the opening sequence is like, "You can't hear anything on this plane. We're flying really high in the air," and then like Bane talks and it overwhelms everything. I'm like, oh yeah. my god, he sounds like crap. Like, they remixed it really poorly. It was obviously something he did last minute. I just don't know what degree the studio was involved in the scripting of this, and maybe we'll never know. But, like, there's just too many elements here that scream to me, like, let's just throw in as much Batman lore and Batman characters as we possibly can into one film. There's just, it, it doesn't, nec- I don't necessarily know if I feel like this is a Christopher Nolan film. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's the one that feels the least like the others. Um, and like as I texted you the night that I was watching it, it is by far his worst film. Well, I'll um, agree with that. I think it's his only film that I would say is legitimately bad. So. Yeah, it, you know. But again, like I think it's one of those things where, like, I do think it's a well-made bad film. Like there, there are some. There are a lot of like. I don't know about a lot, but there are some definitely some interesting sequences in this, and so, you know some of the like the cinematography is really good, but boy, the writing is so poor, and it, like it's way too fucking long. Um, uh, yeah, I agree, and it, it, you know what's you know what's sad too is like Hans Zimmerman, um, a great score for The Dark Knight, especially what a fucking brilliant score in that movie, and in yeah, this film, is. I keep I don't know if on the show I said I did not like the score for this or if I said I liked it. I kept going back and forth, so this is my official position. After I figured <laughs> out, I figured out where I came from on this, I think that the idea for the score of like this idea of like again it fits into that social revolution kind of theme going where he actually I actually am a part of that score, Brad. He got people online to like record. I don't know, some sort of phrase or whatever, and he mixed them all together to sort of create that, that rise, rise um, moment in the score. But I feel like it's so, I actually like it too. And I like it. I think it fits well with the movie, but I think the movie uses it so much. It's so repetitive and it's constant and repetition during all those weird montage sequences of Gotham suffering. It's, it's It's just, it wears itself out. It's also that like, I don't think the movie helps it in any way because you know, it's sort of introduction, like it's, it's Genesis is just kind of a nonsense moment. For right, exactly. Like it, that's, it's, that's it. it's something that doesn't really hold any weight. It would weight, fit so if that, that social stuff had any kind of when, weight, but it doesn't. Ugh. Yeah, like when they bring it back, it's just kind of like, yeah, this is calling back to a moment that I don't give a fuck about. Totally. And there's one thing I want to mention, but you mentioned this on the pre-show when you are doing prep, um, and so I want to make sure I credit you with this, but I never really thought about it. Them mentioning and showing America outside of Gotham, like mentioning Cleveland and showing like the president and the National Guard, that to me was a little jarring in this movie because we spend so much time viewing with Gotham in, in sort of like this vacuum as if it's this like self-contained location on, it's on Earth. It's the world. 
it is the world for us. And I think that that is one of the things that made it so powerful and so interesting and made Gotham feel like it had real stakes. But the second Gotham becomes like one city in a larger country, uh, it just felt odd to I, you me. Know, and that's, lost, that's the thing is like, the fact that they mentioned – like maybe if they had said the president – because like I guess in the, in the in the Dark Knight, they do mention the National Guard. Yeah, which never actually show up, but they're like, oh, we yeah, might need them because Joker is out of control. Um, so. Yeah, like you know, in this one, they they mentioned Cleveland, and it's just kind of like, just I don't know. They like, actually show the president a, speaking in this movie, which is you know, but like I, yeah, but it's it's just like such a random thing, and it's like it makes it makes Gotham just feel small. It does, and, and, and like, then, then you got to think to yourself like, what the fuck are the League of Shadows and Bane so interested like, in a why, city that's just one? Why do they why care do they about pick that? This this place, like, what is why their wouldn't yeah, problem? like why wouldn't they go to New York or L.A. or Tokyo or Paris? Like, why would they pick Gotham? Like, it I just don't know. it just made the whole thing seem insignificant, and it made like the reality that they had created in the previous two films like sort of crumble a little bit like because like why like when the joker's running around blowing up hospitals and just like mass murdering people like why wouldn't the national guard get involved why wouldn't the fbi come in like it's just like yeah just because like the importance of dumb. batman in those films was like that that made batman seem more important it made batman have yeah, exactly a lot more weight. but in this one it's just like well batman's fucking nothing he's just some loser in a mask who yeah. punches the villain <laughs> exactly so, <laughs> who spends half the movie locked inside of a cave somewhere which is obviously very close to gotham but very far away and i you know some amorphous location stupid yeah yeah it was one of those things that like it bothered me the last time i watched it like a little bit it was like ah there was like a little bit of seed there and then like when i watched it this time it was like that is so fucking dumb i just i i don't know i don't know why they did and it was totally unnecessary because nothing ever came of it no man like there's there's a lot of continuity errors and inconsistencies and incongruities in this film where you could like tear it apart i mean there's so many questions like where is this prison located how did bane get out of there like i don't understand i mean there's just there's just so many problems with this, and they're always like as a result of trying to manufacture something that the film thinks is so deep, bro. But all the drugs in the world is not going to make this like deep or interesting. To me, this felt like a film made by some out of touch elitist who's preaching down to people about the importance of, you know, trickle down economics and the police state. I think that was the message I got. That's the way I took the film. I don't know. It's stupid. It's dumb. It's fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> And it's sad, too. Like, uh, Christopher Nolan's a guy with a real voice, and I just didn't even feel it in this movie. I got no, no. Christopher Nolan out of this, dude. I, I, I kind of didn't. Uh, it just it just didn't feel like a Nolan film at all. No, definitely not. Are we done? Is it time to go mobile? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if we... mobile means going to bed, <laughs> then yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I want to be clear that I don't advocate what the Joker does. I am not uh... – <laughs> Not a lover of the Joker. I just uh, think that he is interesting and somewhat sympathetic in a way, but I'm bringing a lot of comic books into this. I am not a terrorist. Please do not investigate me. Okay, moving on. Guys, we'll be back with another show soon. We're going to do, at some point in time, we're going to do the Tim Burton Batmans. We've been talking about it. Hopefully you enjoyed this show, and uh, hopefully you uh, you know did not enjoy uh, The Dark Knight Rises, because we really shit on it, and I apologize for that. <laughs> if you love it, uh, please still listen to us. I'm Chavin Alston. You can follow me on Twitter, at Chavin Alston. You can follow... Bradley Redder at Max Fisher. That's a Rushmore reference, guys. TheCinematicTangent.com is a thing. You can go there. That's how we can subscribe to the show and follow it. We'll probably start posting movie reviews there in the future. But uh, TheCinematicTangent.com for all your feed-related subscription needs. Uh, also want to remind you, please review the show on iTunes. Because iTunes is a self-contained entity, much like Gotham, unless it's The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> and uh, we ask that you please review us there. We will still send you movies. Um, you just tweet at us and let us know who you are. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. 
Uh, Brad, do we have anything to add? We're good? I don't think so. I think All that's right. it. That's it. I'm out. I'm Chavin Alston. And I'm Brad the We are done, folks. Thank you for listening. The bat signal is being turned off. Goodbye.